It's time. Marvelous Demystifiers Assemble. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited about this one. It is really it's beyond my ability to plan these things. I mean, I just do what I'm doing and what feels right. And as it turns out, we are going from a conversation about Gnosticism with Howdy McCoskey about, I don't know, five days ago is maybe when that premiered. And then on Wednesday, this huge Gnosticism conversation deciphering the Lumashi of it all <laughs> on Wednesday. And man, that was incredible. A lot of people were able to check that out. I'm super happy. Both of those were really big episodes. And so we are today going to be discussing, of course, Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. There's a ridiculous amount of encoding in this film. It is so blatant of a, a Gnostic allegory for pop culture Gnosticism, that is, it's like, you know, if you know what you're looking at from the mythological level, 
and you're not sort of only introduced to this topic as a simulation theory, the matrix type system. I mean, this may be as blatant of a Gnostic allegory as the matrix, but just from a more mythological, magical, spiritual standpoint rather than, you know, a technological. That's, there's a lot to talk about. And I'm just really excited that we were able to, you know, I, I hadn't watched this film since May when it came out. And we were like, okay, we got, <laughs> we got to get this Marvel show in at the end of the month. I mean, we got to keep this, this train rolling. And I had no idea it was going to so perfectly mesh with the last two streams that I put out. And it really does. So it's kind of beautiful. I wanted to talk about the pop culture examples in film and in uh, video games and things like that in the Wednesday night show, but we just didn't have time because it was already four hours. <laughs> I feel like we're going to go long tonight. I mean, gosh, we're already like at uh, a few minutes in. So I better stop introducing and just like kick it over to you guys. Gordy, it's great to share a screen with you. It's been a while. How are you doing, buddy? You too, buddy. It's good to be seen. Good to see your handsome face. Slick, how are you, bud? Real good, man. Real good. Dude, I got the balls in the mail. Right on. Yeah, man. Thank you for that blessing. You bet, buddy. I'm, I want to get them into all you guys' hands and just see how you, you know, how you all mess with it. You know, your own experiences, because it's been weird for me. And the more I give them away, the more they come to me. So it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting exchange with you guys and nature. And it's, you know, like I hate to say it, but we have we just don't have time to talk about fondling your balls. We, don't. We, don't. <laughs> <laughs> we got a two hour film to break down. And if I know us, it's, we'll take yeah, four yeah. hours to get through 45 minutes. So exactly. we'll see what we can do. <laughs> I have a different game. I have a different game plan this time. I did not do screenshots for the whole movie in the sense of like walking us through the plot. I can grab images from like the video and just still frames that way on the fly. And if there's something we're talking about, I'll do my best to pull up a picture of it if it helps. And I have, I do have screenshots just of more specific targeted stuff. So I think maybe um, we'll just let Gabriel take a rip at his introduction in terms of what you want to get everyone's attention on and themes for this film. Uh, maybe we should talk about, you know, the release date of the film, the encoding just in the title as a way to sort of show what the overarching over arconning ideas are. <laughs> so I'll let you introduce that. And then I'll say my piece after Gordy and we'll introduce like that. And then we'll start kind of going through the plot and uh, laying it on. Right on. Yeah. Whew. There's so much going on, but starting with the start date, uh, the film came out uh, right in the month of mother's day and the title of the film uh Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is a D-S-I-T-M-O-M are the initials. And that's an acronym for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You rearrange that and you can get uh, midmost or you can get uh, a decent mom. Which is, I just keep it simple and say this. It encodes mom. Multiverse mom. of Madness is probably what a lot of people will call this film. And yep. leave out the beginning section and just call it Multiverse of Madness. And this film is about a crazy bitch mom. Yes. Yep. And uh, it's and classic it's, Disney form, totally trashing the mom. Yep. Big time. Uh, so Medusa's going to come into play. Uh, there's a throne with Medusa. 
So uh, Medusa is on card number 19, uh, which is has everything to do with the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. So they enthroned the mother, the matriarch, with the 19th Amendment. And now they're about to rip her out. They're about to put the mamas through all kinds of hell. And they let it, they unleashed it on Mother's Day. Uh, very interesting. So there's going to be that aspect. Uh, the divine feminine is going through a not-so-divine experience. Yeah, guys, I, this, I saw it back in May, too. And we saw it in the theater. And I kind of, you know, the acting was so bad and the script writing is so me like it well, was it's, Sam, it's a Sam Raimi film I mean right, it's, like Sam Raimi is like one of my dudes like my I, thought, I thought his thing was campy yeah one of my favorite movies is Army of Darkness I mean that's a masterpiece right but I mean then again he did do but it is campy as fuck right and we want campy but there was like I don't think if you were going to go camp, you, you know, lean into it, lean hard. And there were little bits of it, but I, yeah, I it was a that, blend of so many different elements that it does feel a little weird in that way. You yeah. know, it's got these horror film elements. It's got this fantasy feel and it's a superhero film. And there's sort of like a, a romantic subplot. There's like a lot of Gordy's balls juggling in the air here. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, and there was little uh, hints at uh, Ash Williams also. I mean, in all of Sam Raimi's. Well, Bruce Campbell makes a cameo. Is Bruce Campbell. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I think they're going to bring him in because he's big. Nope, you froze. All right, we'll wait for him to come back, but I'm going to, Gordy, if you can still hear me, you're frozen. So I'm going to go on and go ahead talking about the big themes that I see in it, and then we'll get into the plot. So first of all, I'm going to make the assumption that you guys are familiar with either the Gnosticism mythology, or you at least saw our big stream from Wednesday night where I covered a lot of that stuff, because I want to point out the cast of characters before we get started. We have, of course, Dr. Strange, the titular character, and he is essentially Pythagoras or Christ or Mercury or Hermes. There's maybe a better way of calling him or Thoth. He is the guy. He's the divine guy. <laughs> he's the one who takes on the body of the modeled forms of the Demiurge. You know, he comes into one of these clay vessels of our realm and uh, he has the knowledge of heaven in this mortal body. He's the master of the mystic arts, right? Now, I probably don't need to give this disclaimer, but I do not buy the Gnostic mythology as literal history of our realm. So as I'm talking about it, it is to demonstrate that these Hollywood types and wannabe controllers and mental programmers <laughs> and uh, all kinds of you know dark cults that are behind the scenes running the show in our world today, they are either A, they are believers in this mythos as a history which i think some of them are or b they want us to be believers in it because it creates a really perfect master slave psychological dynamic in its adher adherence i mean it's the ultimate victim mentality <laughs> and we'll see that as we go forward so in terms of the gnostic mythos dr strange is the the perfect man the divine one the savior 
you know, the, I think Pythagoras is probably the most evident aspect of him. He represents Sagittarius. We'll, we'll get into that symbolism as we look at imagery from the movie. And then we have uh, the, probably the second most important character is Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. And I'll talk, I have a lot of evidence for this as we go, but she is the Sophia character. She's the dark mother. She's the, (laughs) also the demiurge. And that may be a little confusing to people that aren't in the deep level of symbolic literacy regarding, you know, these trinities, if you will. But she is basically as the (laughs) sort of demiurge character is also the mother, like in that segment of the Gnostic creation myth I read on Vibrant the night where Eve says that she gave birth on her own without the father, but also she is her son. She gave birth to herself and also she is the father. She's all the things rolled into one. So (laughs) we can talk about the examples of like the Trinity nature of her character as we go, but she's definitely the Sophia slash Demiurge mother son type of thing. And a little gray veil ladle on that is that her name is Wanda and between Sanskrit and Latin, as with a few other languages, I'm sure the letter M actually inverts and becomes W when you switch between those languages, they flip. So Wanda is Manda and Manda means Gnosis. I believe it's in an Arabic, Arabic or Aramaic, Arabic or Aramaic. It's where you get the Mandeans in the Middle East who are a Gnostic sect. So, you know, in case we weren't like, if it, it wasn't obvious enough, she represents Gnosis. She represents Sophia, which means wisdom. And um, the third important character to introduce is America. And like the rest of this movie, it's just so blatant. <laughs> Like this character's name is America. So she's the uh, multiverse jumping. I can uh, she's the one with the power to jump between universes. She's basically, in my opinion, Eve, but like the little Eve, the mortal type of Eve, sort of, but also Eve, Eve. Like the thing with these characters is like as we attribute them to mythological Gnostic personages, there's a lot of overlap. And if you go read the Gnostic creation myth, it is a confusing ass mess where you don't even know who's who. And there's like three versions of everybody or more. So the fact that there's overlap is to me, not a problem. So America is like, it's sort of like the idea of whenever you have one of these Trinity characters like Adam, and then he begets three sons. Well, the three sons are the next Adam basically. And then they, their descendants go on. And so you have Noah and he's got the three sons and, and on and on it goes. And so like these, it's the aspect of the Trinity. That's the regenerator where at the end of a cycle, it renovates the world. It recreates itself. So the fact that America is Eve means that she's sort of like Sophia's daughter in a sense. And a lot, some context I'd really would have liked to refresh myself on before getting into this convo. And I just wanted to anyway, and I will eventually, and I want to talk to him about it on a show sometime is Tessarion, Michael Tessarion's work on the dragon mother, the terrible mother, because he has this elaborate thesis on female psychology regarding how like this battle takes place between the mother and the daughter for dominance, but it's like this passive aggressive battle. Sometimes it gets really out in the open. 
and uh, the daughter's ability to basically overcome <laughs> and integrate the shadow that the mother projects at her has everything to do with whether or not she's going to be come the archetype of the terrible mother or if she's going to integrate her masculinity and thus become heroic and complete the you know the female's version of the alchemical wedding just as the male has to do the same thing integrating the the inner feminine so anyway all that being said she's like the daughter of sophia america is and her terrible mother is you know doing all this dragon mother shit at her and <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of just threw at us, but you guys have anything to add before we maybe get into some of the interpretation of the opening scene? Um, just, I, I wanted to uh, reiterate, I saw a lot of uh, what Gabe was pointing out before in Dr. Strange was uh, the union stuff. And that comes back up a lot again, but we can get into it, man. There's plenty of stuff. We probably should. We should probably start booking. Yeah. Uh, one. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you're frozen, too. What's up with everyone's internet tonight? He'll come back. One thing I want to put on. I'm having a bit of a choppy connection, so. <laughs> <laughs> Very choppy. <laughs> well, you'll be back any moment now, I have a feeling. We'll let you take a, a swing whenever you're stabilized Man. here. Okay. Am I in? Okay. It seems like maybe you're in now. Okay. Nice. So a couple quick points I forgot in my intro about when the film came out. I did some, uh, I think I did a little uh, slick dissident uh, installation on this. Was the discovery about the word strange. And I discovered that the word strange is uh, very, very powerfully correspondent with the word shortage. And it's kind of, we've been mentioning it as like an inside joke now, that the word strange in 22 different gematrological ciphers is a perfect root number match to the word shortage, which is a lot of ciphers. I've never seen anything 22 cipher uh, perfection. It's really weird. But so the film, Doctor Strange, seems to have foretold uh, shortages, but it's really weird that the Stranger Things episodes came out. And here we have that word strange again. There's a lot of strange shortages in the air. So I just wanted to put that ingredient on the table uh, before we, uh, we miss that detail. And, then and for anyone that goes to chase down the receipt on that, the what he means by root number matches that if you take the reduction of whatever the gematria logical values are in these various ciphers, you'll get down to the same root number, which was what was it like nine? Uh, not important. Well, <laughs> not it depends important. on the cipher, but no matter which cipher you put the words in, the two words match. Oh, yeah, he just sent me a image of that. So I can pull that up. And we see here what he's talking about. Yeah, there's a lot of matches here. Let me get the screen share. Nice. Guys, then, quit having bad internet. I know. <laughs> I, I'm just glad it's not me. It'd be way worse if it was me. 
Yeah, cool. So there's your strange shortages. Crazy. That they know are <laughs> they're on to you. Okay, well, I'm gonna walk us into the the opening scene here, and we always like to spend a ridiculous amount of analysis on the very first image of what we're shown, right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a pattern, yeah. But this is first impression time. Yeah. And this is the very first shot, basically. So we're not told what this place is, but we find, at least not at the beginning, but we find out later that we're basically, I think they called it like the junction between universes, something like that. And what I look at it as is the, like the heaven above the heavens, essentially in the Gnostic cosmology. Maybe like the uh, Ein Sof or the Ein Sof R. Probably that this big light over here would be the Ein. And then you have this empty space, which would be the Ein Sof. And then as you get further away from it, there's more and more like debris and things orbiting it. So maybe like that's the Ein Sof R, which is the three spheres, like the first type of trinity in Kabbalistic emanation doctrine so that would be like above the tree of life and above the multiverse it is like the point that connects all of the multiversal parallel universes so that's my take on it uh gabe also found something fascinating <laughs> that is encoded by this image here too at least i think it's encoded by that uh what was that called the part of the kyborium Yes, there's um, the one theme. Maybe we should explain what the Kyborium is as well. Yeah, so uh, uh, I've been calling it a Kyborium. I think it's pronounced Cyborium, to be nerdy about it. Oh, like Cybell. Like Cybell. And so your psilocybin mushroom, the cybe of that word is the covering. It's the uh, it's like a awning or a uh, it's a covering. It's some, it's a, in Catholicism, a, a cyborium is like a little uh, altar indoors that is often looks like a gazebo or a small uh, manger. And there we go. Yes. And it, it almost always has four posts. That's the key here is you'll know that it's a cyborium by the four posts. And then inside of the cyborium is a little uh, a sanctum, an inner sanctum. You could think of this as an inner sanctum inside of another sanctum. So it has that babushka doll kind of phenomenon. Um, it also it's also kind of like the cube inside of a sphere. Nice. Since yes. oftentimes it'll be under one of these like arched domed roofs. Yeah. And then the other thing about the cyborium is that there's another object that shares its name and it's like a cyborium within the cyborium, which is basically like a, you know, it looks like the Holy grail from Indiana Jones or something like all those cups that Indiana Jones gets to choose from. Those are basically cyboriums and they are vessels to hold the Eucharist. So literally like an urn holding the, you know, the corpse of Christ essentially. And I say literally, but like myth, mythologically i guess since you know bread is not literally the blood of 
and body of anything. But what, what is kind of trippy is that uh, the psilocybin mushroom is a communion. So the container that the communion is, is in, in the church, is this cup with a lid, and it's called a cyborium. And it is even kind of mushroom shaped. It has a mushroom shape. And so uh, the whole mushroom ritual is uh, immortalized uh, by the Catholic Church and these signs and symbols. So, but this film is just steeped with cyboriums. So on one hand, it's like the structure of the reality of the fiction. But on the other hand, it's telling us that we're on a mushroom trip. And we're going down the rabbit hole. It's like a Wizard of Oz meets Alice in Wonderland on crack uh, to the next level. So it's just kind of trippy that there's on some linguistical level, they're constantly reminding us of the psychedelic nature of of religion, of of spiritual experiences in general. That, uh, you know, we're in there for film, but we're having religious revelations during a psychedelic theater experience. Now, this is the Ostenorium, I think is how you say it. Ostenorium. Nice. And that is another object within a Kyborium occasionally. Yeah, let's see. There's the title. Ostensorium. Yes, that's right. Ostensorium. And it's a mirror, basically. And it has these rays coming out of it as well. Eight. Um. I think the broken mirror and mirror symbolism in this film is pretty much as heavy duty and equal as in the Moon Knight series because Marvel just can't help, or I should say Disney, maybe Disney cannot help continually pummeling us with this Jungian, basically twisted version of Jungian, Jungianism all about, fueling your powers with your trauma (laughs) and how like you know basically like your trauma is good hell the scarlet witch wanda is played by ashley olsen who has been an actress since she was like four years old and her twin sister as well her twin sister who is mary kate olsen mk olsentra (laughs) damn (laughs) that was a good one Yeah, man, they're telling us. Thank you. I felt like I was you for a second. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah, man, they're telling us if we don't get our traumas uh, under control, somebody else will. Somebody will come in and start to pull those cords, push those buttons, and hit those pressure points. Uh, And that's why knowing thyself is so important. So do you think that this is like symbolically close, this Ein here and this awesome Oz tensorium. I kind of think so. I totally, I dig that. And it's also, it's a 16 petaled flower in that stained glass. It's mm. 16 petals. That's a tower. And this has 16 points as well. They're just different shapes. But like, if you look at the actual points around it, there's 16. Oh, right. Cause it's eight times two. Nice. Nice. So yeah. So 16 is the tower card. The opening scene, all this debris broken up and floating around as they're leaping from one spot to the next, it's the tower card. We're looking at the tower card uh, in a very interesting way. Um, and there's 13 rays on on this particular one between, there's 13 degrees between each ray. I thought that was interesting too. 
Oh, that is weird. Interesting. So another point on that opening scene with the stained glass, stained glass art is rooted in uh, Malta. Uh, Malta was, they were the bufu gurus of all stained glass art. And so uh, that is symbolically centering the initiation of the film. I just pulled this out of my deck. I just cut the deck randomly. If you go no. back and scrub the video, I did not look at what I did. I just picked up this deck. Whoa. That is the chariot card. And that is the one card in the deck that has the Kyborium ki- Cyborium depicted. I did not. Bada-boom. I did not just pull that. I pulled that out of my ass, but I did not even like mean to do that. Wow. <laughs> so, one, anyway, That's cool. sorry for the interruption. That just kind of happened accidentally. All is well, all is well. Yeah. So uh, when we see this 16 petal flower, we're thinking of the tower. Obviously, there's debris and uh, these columns, broken columns flying all over the place. Um, But then uh, also uh, our two characters, we have the two human characters jumping and leaping in a standard tower card. There are two priests falling out of the out of the tower. and uh, that's about it for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I also had a, a sense of, like, this track that they're running on reminds me of, like, the carcass of a serpent or something. You know, like, that they're running around on the Ouroboros. Nice, Yes. It could even be considered like entrails. Like you see how mm. all all the tethers behind them, it like goes on and on and on winding. It could be con- considered like the intestinal track to some degree. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I like I just grabbed a couple other tarot cards and one of them was one that I specifically intended to show later on. So I guess I've already got it ready. <laughs> Uh, one one interpretation I had here with the initiation is that we're um, because they're jumping, you know, there's like the monster comes up behind them and then it comes up on the other side of them and they're jumping, uh, bridging the gap. I'm thinking we might be looking at here and again, repeated in the next reality. I think we're seeing uh, uh, Perseus saving Andromeda. And because Andromeda was uh, about to be eaten by a monster, Perseus comes and saves her, depending on which culture you're hearing the story from. It takes on these little differences of the detail. So you hear the story once from this culture, and it is one universe, one multiverse. But then you hear the story from Rome, and it becomes another multiverse. And so even the myths are dressed up in different cultures, which makes them parallel realities. Well, and if it is Perseus rescuing Andromeda, which I think that's a good read, actually, that puts us at the vernal equinox, right? You got it right at the beginning. The pagan, this is the pagan initiation point. Yeah, which would be exactly we're beginning the uh, the year, the beginning of the story. Good, good call. Now, uh, there's the Kyborium. <laughs> Very evidently, and in the middle of it is the Holy Grail of the film. The book is called the Book of Vishanti, and to me, that's like so ridiculously evident of 
the fact that Dr. Strange, who is the one who has knowledge of the Book of Vishanti and the ability to access it and into alternate versions of him know about it and have used it, we find out this is basically like the MacGuffin of the film. It's the magical object that will solve everything that Deus Ex Machina, if you can get it, then it'll it'll like let you do whatever you need to do. <laughs> so it's your savior, basically. This book is your savior. Well, we know who Vishnu is, right? Oh yeah, here we go. The book of Vishnu <laughs> Shanti. Here we go. Well, Vishnu is Christ. Vishnu is Hermes. Vishnu is that aspect of the Trinity that's the savior, and you know that's why. I brought it up last Wednesday. Vishnu is Fishnu. V to F switch between Latin and many other languages. So, yeah, to me, that's like obvious that they they did the book of Vishanti. And what's interesting, too, is like a lot of this symbolism is fresh for the movie, but more of it comes straight from the source material comic books. You know, it's been the book of Vishanti for the whole time for decades in the Dr. Strange lore. So yeah, this is so stuff They were, And you're right. It's a, it's the uh, Trimurti or, or uh, it's the three faced God um, because it's, it's three gods. Technically Vishanti is like a three, three God thing. It's the uh, Hogarth, which in the silver age, he, it's one of his invocations with, by the hosts of Hogarth. So there's that god, um, Ashan Ashtar, who is the, I think he's the father um, spirit in this. And then the uh, Agamotto, who is the son, who is the eye of, he's the one that created the, you know, the medallion that he's, that the Sorcerer Supreme um, is sworn to protect. It's the eye of Agamotto. And that'll come up again as well. Uh, but these, the, the, uh, you'll see the parallels. There's a, there's always a good and bad. There's always a positive and negative. These three are the, are the gods of order. Okay. And we will see the gods of chaos in a little bit. I can't even take it. You're blowing my mind. I don't know any of this stuff that you're telling me, Gordy. I'm learning this as you're saying it. Okay. (laughs) H. Hagoth. Hagarth. A Ashtar, G Agamotto, H A G, H A G. That's harmony. Did we talk? Did we talked about this with L C King two days ago? That's harmony, arithmetic, and geometry. H A G. That's the Hag. That's the Hagia Sophia. That's the Trimurti. And Hag is Hag is of the same linguistic root as. Sag, as in Sagittarius or Sage. Sage, S H A G, the S Hag. Wow, the Sages. <laughs> That's cool. Dang, yeah. I know Lucas is watching too. Yeah, and Mario too. So we got nice. We got a really great crew in the chat. I mean, I should shout out everyone in there, but there's a lot of you. I love you all. Thanks for tuning in with us. Now, what a trick. Okay, so to go ahead and continue that whole Sagittarius weave, they're fighting this monster, and the monster wounds Strange in the thigh. So, does anybody know what body part 
Sagittarius corresponds to. If you guess the thigh, you're right. <laughs> I mean, if you couldn't tell. And I found it interesting, too, that it's like this wound is glowing. There's like a gold glow to it. I mean, it's kind of reddish orange as well. But Pythagoras is said to have a golden thigh. So, and they're at the top, they're at the top of a mountain. I mean, metaphorically, they're at the top point of like the multiverse and where Sagittarius, or sorry, Pythagoras, (laughs) same thing, where Pythagoras revealed his golden thigh was at the top of a mountain. So to me, I'm like, there's just too much. We could, we're not even going to come close to explaining all of the myths that we touch on tonight nor will we even come close to revealing all of the stuff that's in this film, but we're getting, yeah, we're getting, <laughs> we're going to do our best. I'll say that much. So, Chance, you know, can, this is Pythagoras, obviously. Oh yeah. Chance, can you pop up that last graphic I sent to you on your telly? Uh, because one thing about this, like uh, this book of Vashanti and the Deus Ex Machina uh, is, um, the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin of the film. I just want to point out that symbolically, this book, this symbol of salvation, is rep- is representing Pegasus, and we have recently identified Pegasus as the astrological foundation of two dimensional paperwork. And so, having a book, papers, literacy, something written before you got here as the salvation of all reality that. And the uh, square or the cube, too. The, the square and the cube, yep. The two Which dimensional is the shape of a uh, kyborium. Right? It's a two-dimensional, two-dimensional savior. And so this is a uh, just a quick layout. You know, it's the Perseus myth uh, up top with Andromeda. She's being sacrificed by her parents. He actually uh, negotiates with the parents. Uh, he's not really into her. Uh, he just wants the glory. And... Um, it's very interesting if you look into the Perseus myth. He's uh, he does it for not obvious reasons. You have to read into it. But anyway, this is an image of Andromeda being sacrificed, and you can see the location of the, in the heavens. We've got uh, Andromeda is the daughter of Cassiopeia, who was uh, raped by uh, Neptune. Yeah, and Cetus is the monster they're probably fighting right now. You got it. Yep. In in some depictions, uh, uh, Perseus is running with his winged shoes, and in other cultures, he's riding on Pegasus. So the Pegasus is the page. It also is symbolic of the Garden of Eden. Uh, It's symbolic of uh, many, many things, but it's like so prolific that it uh, is clearly important to the priest class. Right, and where it relates to the Garden of Eden is that it's this square right here. It's also the Ark. It's Noah's Ark as well. Right. And it's white. That's another thing. You know you're dealing with it because of its white purity. It's uh, basically like an island that is in the midst of the watery half of the Zodiac. So the flood or winter or chaos or the primordial waters that the land is risen up out of. And then if we go back to our picture, the Kyborium here. Mm, there. See, if you're relating Pegasus to this book, then you know it's on an island in the midst of nice. sort of the the chaos. Yep, and it's guarded by a monster. 
by the way, I didn't say this yet, but I think that some of the Gnosticism is intentional by some producer somewhere and some author somewhere, or they actually just kind of believe the world works this way, or they're programmed by their own industry and the pop culture they're constantly consuming. But as far as like some of the deeper <laughs> Lumashi we're taking out of these, uh, out of this star writing, <laughs> I think some of it has got to be like just pure logos syncretism, you know, because there's only one story and it's the story up there. And we're going to constantly see that story because it has all the cast and characters of everything that ever happened. Nothing new under the sun. Just wanted to throw that out there. So, yeah, we're going to be in the vernal equinox in the next reality too, I think. Uh, but just all of this will kind of play out in an, uh, in an, the next reality after this jump. So he also tries to take this like chthonic monster and trap it inside this fear of earth which I thought was an interesting symbolism too, because, you know, they, <laughs> they say that the old gods are chained within the earth and it also tells the earth there's a ball. So I kind of took that as, I mean, this thing busts out though, doesn't stay in there, but I thought that was interesting. That actually happens more than once. There's a scene at the end where they try to do the same thing to Wanda, like put her in a trap her in a ball. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to wait for a little while to <laughs> to kind of make that to bring to culminate that point uh because it will be important all of these uh entities that Wanda is in control of they there's an underlying theme but we'll kind of we'll cook that up and serve it later Stacy made a good comment that the wound that he suffers on the thigh looks like the female you know special orifice that only the female has. I think that's right on the money. It also kind of looks like an eye, but <laughs> so does the Yoni. So uh, I basically a hundred percent agree with that, especially because we find out the source of this monster that's chasing them is Wanda, the dark mother, the dark female. So he's wounded and also thus corrupted. Like if you see this wound, it looks like it's, it's nasty. It's going to probably get infected. Right. Um, this we find out is an alternate universe version of strange, not the one that is our hero for the movie. And after he realizes he can't defeat the monster, he decides to try to steal America's power because he doesn't want it to go to the, uh, you know, whoever controls this demon or maybe in his mind, he thinks the demon is the, the end bad guy. I don't know, but look at his costume this version of strange look at his arms, the pose he's in and look at the chest, <laughs> but he's like corrupted by the shadow or the, you know, the fall instead of him biting the apple, the apple takes a bite out of him. <laughs> but this cross I think is pretty evident, you know, and there's so much more symbolism later to tell you he's Jesus but he's like a Jesus that doesn't make it. He doesn't ascend. He uh, kind of falls. And here again, you know, if we're going to be calling him Pythagoras, when he decides he's got to take her power and sacrifice her, that's why he's a failure. He doesn't sacrifice himself. He, sacri he tries to sacrifice her instead, which is not what the Savior is supposed to do. The Savior is supposed to be the one who 
saves. <laughs> but he says in the grand calculus of the multiverse, your life isn't worth as much as like saving all reality. But you know, who talks like that? Probably Pythagoras did <laughs> the grand calculus, <laughs> in my opinion, allegedly. Uh, and then he takes it right through the heart, which is also important symbolism. I mean, we see Jesus with the, uh, the flaming heart symbol and a lot of religious iconography. I mean, that's basically it right there. And also being that he's corrupted by the feminine sort of, as in he's like emasculated, uh, <clears throat> he gets skewered. <laughs> you know, he becomes, he becomes the hole for the pole. You know, he gets, he gets gender flipped. And that's Dude, part of why he's ineffective in his role. That kind of looks like a bat on his chest. Didn't you guys think it looked a little like a bat? Are we seeing are we seeing the beginning of COVID? Are we looking at bat a bat dropping in a Vishnu market? Well, I found out today too that uh, in your sacrifices to the old gods, whenever you're trying to summon Chthonic demons to do your bidding, that one of the type of animals that you needed to burn to ashes and then prostrate yourself in the ashes of was a bat. You needed like fourteen bats or something. <laughs> Fourteen bats and fourteen rats. Yeah, and, and when you put those together, back. you get rabbits. Rabbits. Good one. Nice. So then she. Uh, here we are, still in the first scene. <laughs> Forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! We're for the so, course, man. Let's pull yeah. through. Yeah, we're getting there. So. America uses her powers to escape from this situation by chopping a star five pointed star shaped hole in the fabric of reality, which is a portal through the multiverse. I mean, I'm calling her Eve. So the five pointed star symbolism hopefully isn't lost on anybody. Right. And uh, he strange chops off one of these things, legs or a lot of its legs to save her. He cuts the legs of this thing. And, um, you know, I had thoughts about that, but I guess I didn't write them down. Okay. I think I've gone over all my notes for this segment. Um, he wakes up. I found it interesting that he wakes up from this nightmare and you see the back of his bed frame here. Do you guys know what it looks like behind the Pope's throne? No, but you know, uh, that, I'm going to show that you. whole thing that reminds me of the high priestess card, which is going from Sagittarius. The next one over is the uh, uh, in Capricorn, the high priestess. She has the two pillars and she has a purple drape behind her. The justice card has the same kind of thing going too, but guys, very high priestess. This is the statue behind the Pope. Seriously? A hundred percent serious. This is behind the Pope's little throne. Yeah, I'm not even kidding you. So these are like tormented demonic souls. I've never seen this. Yeah. And what is this alien thing? Yeah, it's called the resurrection. That's the name of the statue. Um, Which looks more. It looks a lot like Dr. Strange uh, toward at the end when he goes uh, zombie status. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was going for. Yeah, you nailed it. Wow. Also looks like a. Goat's Can you head. believe this is what is behind the freaking Pope? I mean, 
I, I can believe that's it. What I that's, cannot believe. That's a baphomet. Right? It's, what I cannot well, believe is that other people don't care. That's what I can't believe. I can't believe that it's there and nobody pays attention. That's what well, I have a hard yeah, time no, believing. No one even really knows. Yeah. And I mean, I've never else? seen this before. Do you know what else is in that room? The snake ceiling. Yeah, the snake ceiling. Let me yeah. just grab this image. This is that room. So if you look, <laughs> wow. uh, don't, don't worry about this bottom right part. But so here's the statue, and then here's the rest of the room. <laughs> These fuckers don't play. Like, <laughs> how do you not see it? How are you? How is everybody not in the? I don't. Wow. To you know, they don't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, they're it's, too close uh, to it. It's incredibly demonic wow. looking. I'll say that. Now, is this a new thing since the new Pope or what? It's been around since Paul the sixth, I think. I don't know how old it is. That that would take a little research. Okay. That's probably on the scope of on the fly research, but you know, just want people. Wow. Oh, okay. So symbolic studies is right. Actually, this is a mirrored version. My bad. Let me show it for real. Yeah. Cause in the rest of my images, it doesn't quite look like that. I'm sorry. They made it look more alien with that mirrored version. I'm not trying to spread din- disinfo here. Uh, I see what <laughs> you mean. Yeah. The split. With Sorry the about two that. Heads going. Let me get a better shot of it. Cause I mean, it's wild enough how it is. It's plenty wild enough how it is. That's a more accurate depiction of it. Yeah, as in like factual photographic depiction. I mean, it's still like pretty damn alien and creepy. Right. Yeah. He's looking to the left. To his left. Yeah. On that left-hand path kind of thing. What a trip. <laughs> so that's the rulers of the paper sea paper there. Those who rule the peg, they ride the Pegasus. Okay. Where are we now? So he wakes up from a nightmare. He resurrects from dying because he was basically dreaming this experience of being the other strange. And then he dies and wakes up in his dream. He dies and wakes up. So that's why I was thinking of the resurrection, because I know that this is a very small headboard, but just sort of like the, I don't know, it made me think of that. I know that it's probably not intentional by the creators, but, you know. One thing I noticed is is he's sleeping with his his laptop's wide open. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. I mean, that's pretty hard to miss. Is it just that that's like normal, considered normal now? Was he like watching yeah, it's like, something before he went to sleep or yeah. is something watching him through the laptop? I don't know. I thought that was bizarre because here we have the master of the mystic arts. Like he's probably got psychic powers out the ass. And what does he need to be watching Netflix before he goes to sleep for? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that does, it just sticks out. It doesn't fit the rest of his whole aesthetic here to have that laptop. Does it? Um, so next he gets dressed and he goes to a church <laughs> in case we, you know, it goes to a cathedral, really, you know, in case we weren't accurate about our assessments, connecting things to the Vatican, he does next go to a th- cathedral. I mean, <laughs> this is the next place he goes. Uh, and he talks to his old coworker who was also a surgeon. He kind of had a competition within the first movie and they start talking about the blip where they both turned to dust for five years which actually 
you know, that's part of the whole Avengers storyline arc, but they referenced it in all kinds of Marvel movies. That actually turns out that it was Doctor Strange who caused half of the world to die for five years. He gave the bad guy the the stone, the time stone from the Eye of Agamotto, which allowed him to complete the Infinity Gauntlet and kill half of the universe because he foresaw, Strange did, that that was actually the only way to defeat him was to let him win temporarily and that that would lead to the the win later for the good guys to bring everybody back to life. So this guy's, you know, laying out all of the trauma that he experienced on Strange's feet. Um, you know, blaming his savior, blaming his Messiah for all of his hardships and asks, did it have to happen that way? And I grabbed the screen capture because that's a huge theme of this film. And if we're looking at it as a big Gnostic allegory, Whenever this guy says, did it have to happen that way? The larger question is, did our spirits have to become trapped as they would believe us to be in matter? Do, did we have to suffer the fall? You know, do we have to be imprisoned in our flesh suits? That is the question the film is asking us. And then our savior, our perfect man with knowledge of heaven, his answer is, no, it did not have to be that way. I chose for it to be that way. <laughs> so that's a, you know, that's a philosophical question we should all ask ourselves when we're looking at this material is like, is this all fate, destiny, necessity? Is it something that we chose? And I believe that it t- takes a negative tone here when they're saying, no, it didn't have to happen that way. And I believe that the, uh, adherence to this Gnostic mythos as a history of creation. I believe, (laughs) I believe that they think they can jailbreak the construct sort of like the Wanda character is attempting to do. And there's more to say about that, but yeah. Um, Now strange says no at first, but later in the film, he kind of takes on the perspective that, Everything happened for a reason. Everything was meant to happen. So there is kind of a shift in him through that. Before we get off this scene, I just want to like, I think a lot of us have been seeing a lot of the actors kind of all starting to look the same. Like there's only like four actors, four like archetypal actors that we've got now. And then they keep making them look like, you know, like the new ones will pop up looking just like the last one. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know any of their names, but all the women look alike. And this guy looks just like Joaquin Phoenix to me. I, I don't know his name. He plays uh, Dr. West, who is the rival here. But uh, I don't know. I'm just saying. That guy could, could fit in. Like If there was like a crow situation where, where we, we were doing another Joker movie or whatever, and this guy had to fill in, I wouldn't have any clue. That that guy could be walking Phoenix for all I know. Good call. He does. He looks a lot like him. Interesting that his name is West. I think we talked about this. His name is West, and his his watch was ticking during the procedure. Oh, yeah. Strange was like, "Cover your watch, Doctor West." And West is the you know where things go to die, the end of life. Yeah, and 
the direction that's sort of revered by the mystery cults as well. Oh, you know what else? There's a theme that's planted here by Dr. West. Because Dr. West is a fellow initiate, but like of a lower degree. Right. The theme that's being seeded in this little conversation is hypocrisy. And West is asking him, aren't you a hypocrite? And he's saying, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite. And it turns out in a roundabout way, that's like saying, uh, I didn't take the Hippocratic Oath. That's disclosure that our doctors are not doctors. They do not consider themselves Hippocratic. They haven't taken that oath. And they don't consider themselves hypocrites for giving poison when they are claiming to practice medicine. Yeah. Right. Because if they didn't take the Hippocratic oath, then they never were a hypocrite about it. That's right. And hypocrite means actor, doesn't it? Yeah. Boom. Boom. Yep. It's very meta. It's so meta. There's a couple of very meta moments in this movie where it feels like they're talking to us, like us here, <laughs> the three of us. The um, fourth wall of the cyborium gets collapsed. Actually, that moment is really coming up in just a second. So he goes uh, to the bar after the wedding is over, I presume. You don't really see like the bride and groom do their vows or whatever, but. The bride, who is his old flame, Christine, Christine, <laughs> she comes over to him and uh, asks for a wine from the bartender. She asks for some blood of Christine, <laughs> some red wine, and Strange turns her glass of water into red wine. And then he turns, almost looking, looking at the camera, at the angle that the shot turns to. And he says, was that a little on the nose? <laughs> yeah, it's that's them talking to us. Well, she's she's making fun of his his messiah complex, too. Like she in the first movie, they, they made a lot of reference to. I mean, this is an archetype that surgeons have this messiah complex, which in the comic, Dr. Strange clearly does. And uh, but they in this, I I think they're really missing an opportunity of of strange going into his uh, addiction issues also and getting over those, but that's, that's neither here nor there. That's like, I disagreeing with the uh, writing, but they're definitely making that uh, Christ comparison immediately. It's, it's right, right away. And, and she mentions a couple of different things too. Um, Yes, she says you have to always be the one holding the knife. That's why they couldn't work out. Yeah, interesting that she doesn't say the one being in control. The one holding the knife. Not, it's not a controlling thing. It's like she had to give, she had to be second fiddle. And holding the knife is like, you know, waving your phallus around. Like a magi card. And so if if he's got to be the one controlling, that is representative of like the fact that this marriage is being shown, right? And he's not with the girl. He doesn't have the girl. And he's not happy. They imply that pretty directly. Would basically tells me that Strange has not yet completed the Hyros Gamos. You know, he hasn't integrated his shadow. He hasn't balanced his yin and yang energy. And so as a male, 
balancing your yang energy with your yin energy means you need to be as receptive as you are controlling. <laughs> and so he's like pure yang in the sense that he won't ever relinquish control and allow things to come to him or allow things to develop naturally or allow somebody else that he trusts to do it for him, you know, and the knife symbolism is in terms of his Messiah complex, quite also that she says, you have to be the one holding the knife. Well, to me, that's a pretty direct symbolic thing as well. I mean, other than the fact it's meta it's multiple layers because of course he was a surgeon, but uh, in Egypt, the knife hieroglyph symbolized protection. And he wants to be like, you know, the protector. Uh, there were many knives <laughs> in the hands of deities that guard the gates of the underworld. And also, uh, occasionally the crescent moon of Thoth or Khonsu would also be depicted as a knife or sort of conflated with a knife. So, you know, Thoth Khonsu is your Hermes Mercury as well. Or guarding the underworld, that's the psychopomp. That's Hermes as well, or uh, Anubis, right? Christ goes down into the underworld to free the lost souls or the, you know, ones in hell beneath the earth. So there's a lot of that <laughs> symbolism to think about with him holding the knife because uh, he does have this Messiah protector complex. You know, I didn't think about that, Gordy. Maybe I've got a complex in, in my ego because I thought they were making fun of us decoders when he says, is that a little on the nose? But I mean, you're right. It's a very appropriate thing for her to criticize him about is his Messiah complex. So it, you know, it fits within the frame of the film without maybe being so fourth wall breaking. <laughs> nice. Nice. Could be both. But whenever I heard her say, when I heard him say that, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Jesus metaphor is a little on the nose in this movie. Big time. Yeah, you know, he does a, you notice his hand signal he uses is the bull sign. Yep. Does the bull sign. And the, uh, the next cut scene, the, there's a character standing right behind her with a red feather in their cap, uh, dressed, it's an old lady dressed in blue with this red feather in her cap. And it's, uh, to me, I see a red mercury. That's an indicator of red mercury going on. Uh, the in the scene of transmutation, there's a red mercury hiding in the background. Uh, very interesting. And as she, there's also a golden bucket and a silver bucket uh, just behind her that's kind of portrayed. And that's just interesting to me too. The uh, you know elements we're we're dealing with the transmutation of the elements. Uh, very interesting. And then she asks him, uh, are you happy? And he lies. He says, yeah. He, smiles. he says, yes, I'm happy. And then she walks away. And later on, we'll find out that he regrets that, that lie. But a couple seconds go by of silence. And, the next, and we're watching him kind of consider what that might mean, that she's walking away forever. And he had his one chance to maybe object. And then we hear the screech of a car crash. And what that's telling us subconsciously is that he's actually a wreck. The truth of it all is that he's a wreck. And the funny thing is that the sound comes from behind him. His attention is drawn uh, to the external. 
he leaves his internal and goes walking out on the balcony to see what that sound was. But I just think it's very interesting that the audience has just enough time to think, you're not happy. You're a fucking wreck, bro. And then we hear. Yeah, good call. And then Gabriel, who else holds a knife in mythology that we've already talked about? Uh, Kybel. Perseus, dude. Oh, Perseus. Nice. Perseus is the one holding the knife. He uses a knife to decapitate Medusa. Just thought that was an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he does it by, he's instructed to. His muses, uh, he has. Oh, he's slick, you stuck. Is, uh, so I have a question. Is Mercury uh, and Perseus. Okay. He's back. Wait, maybe not. Okay, is Perseus the only one in the stars in the constellations with a with a knife with a sword? Um, as far as I know, but I'm not maybe the one to ask. There's like 88 constellations. I know, like, also Mr. it depends Mario. on who does who's whose constellations you're looking at. Also, uh, but like Hercules has got a club. Right, he's not holding a knife or a sword. There might be somebody else with a sword, but. He might there's be the only a, one with a knife. Yeah, there's a lot of constellation with with almost all of them have an implement. Um, yeah. This Weird. is not the time for me to Google about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, so this yeah. is what okay. We, this is what we find out causes the car wreck. A big, I'm calling it an. I'm calling it a cyclocto leg, Cyclo- <laughs> cyclocto legs, because <laughs> it's got like octopus legs, but it's a cyclops. I mean, its legs are serpentine. It's got snakes for legs. We're talking about a watcher, one big eyeball. Mm. It's a seraphim. It's an archon. It's sent by Sophia, a.k.a. Wanda. AKA Manda, <laughs> you know, this is, this is why I consider her also the Demiurge. She is sending arconic beings to attack our heroes who are incarnate in the modeled forms of, you know, the limitation of their one reality that they cannot escape. Other than our America character who we have more to say about, but I wanted to point out an important thing here. About the uh, Cycloptolegs thing. <laughs> uh, let me find. Yes. So maybe I'll talk about this more when we get into the dark hold, actually. But let's not forget that this thing has an alphabet on its legs because that's super mm-hmm. important. Yes. And look at the shapes of them. What they call them and what they are are two different things. Oh, no, good call. This this uh, this creature is a silver age thing. This is my jam. This is not what. So they call it an octopus. Um, they don't name this thing in necessarily in the movie. Um, in all of the analyses and and stuff, they call it uh, uh, not gigant or uh, something like that. Uh, anyway, anyway. Um, anyway, they call it the wrong thing. We, in reality, this thing is, uh, it's, it's an old God called, um, 
Yeah, I wrote it down here. Shuma Goroth. So this thing is is one of the old gods that's part of the the Lords of Chaos Trinity. Also, um, he is part of the. I can't remember the other, you know, word for the the gods of chaos, but Cthulhu is is one of those, and they call him. Conf- Knoth uh, or something. They reference it in later on in the movie, um, but they they find this. Apparently, they couldn't use that word because this god is supposed to be. Uh, they had to change it. Um, the real god is supposed to be immortal, and he is he's the lord of chaos, and so his. His gods are, or his, uh, he's got energy protection, reality manipulation, shape shifting, levitation, teleportation, uh, and mystical powers. But he's he's a watcher. Um, he's a watcher, and, and he's immortal. But what they say is that in this is that those are runes on him. Those are, I don't. I've seen some runes, and I don't know about y'all, but. Those don't look like runes to me. Right. And by the their deduction that it's runes, they determine that it is witchcraft, not sorcery. Yes, which is very important because that tells us that this is correspondence. This is the power second hermetic principle correspondence. That's what runes, that's what writing, that's what spells are. They fall into the category of witchcraft. And it's not sorcery until you're using uh, fluids or uh, bio organic substances, shall we say? So uh, it was interesting. Just before this, uh, earlier this week, my Maria seven 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 posted this thing, and she and Cheney had this conversation about this creature that came up. Chance, do you have that graphic I dropped in the demystifiers chat of? Uh, Instagram screenshot. So there's a, you know, the uh, pipeline that burst in Russia. Yeah. So they, there's a story going out there that there's this creature called, um, creature or monster 40s. Oh no, that, that too. That's another one. That's, that's from the poster. That's not, um, that was for me. That's <laughs> my pantherine thing that I keep seeing everywhere. But interestingly enough, this so the story is that in 1957 there was supposedly this monster, this this giant octopus thing called. Yeah, monster. maybe just forward it directly to me in a DM whenever you want me to pull it up. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of how Gabe does it because okay. in our our group chat are the, for the three of us things. Are all, there's all kinds of stuff thrown in there in kind of a random order. Yeah. So, so uh, as you want me to show them, just DM them to me, and that's how I'll know gotcha. that you want me to bring it up. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so if you if you guys are familiar with with uh, Maria, my Maria seven seven seven, she has a obsession with forty seven. She sees forty seven everywhere. And 
Interestingly enough, this this thing is organism 48B, not 47, 48B. It's this giant 33-foot octopus, 14-tentacled squid thing that lived in Lake Vostok. According to cryptid researchers. Yeah. So it's also, you know, likely mythology. 33 feet, Illuminati confirmed. (laughs) Right. Right. Anyway, it's there. It's a thing that is put out there. Um, But supposedly this thing tore out the, the pipeline in Russia. And that's yeah. Even though Uncle Harrisniff said that that we would that the U.S. would take it out, <laughs> right? And they didn't. Right. Okay. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting because this thing is, uh, you know, the octopus of this thing keeps keeps popping up. It's not an. It's clearly not an octopus. It's an eyeball with tentacles. This is clearly not a a squid. It's an it's something else. It's a ball. It's more like, I think this is more, looks more like Mike Wazowski to me than, than a, um, <clears throat> anyway. Nice. So 46 B 46 times two gives you 92, which is almost Neptunian on the periodic table. Almost. Uh, 93 is Neptunian. Neptunium. I did not know that. Hmm. Yep. 93. 93. 93. Confirmed. The Lima confirmed. <laughs> so what other screenshots do I have? Yeah. <laughs> so back to like the trauma programming of it all. Um, we see the whole crowd from the wedding watching. Yes. The battle with the most horrific demon that's probably ever been, you know, out and about on the streets of New York city. I'm so glad you picked up on this and look at their faces. Do most of them look like, like some of them have some concern like this guy, but like a a lot of them look like they're experiencing authentic joy. Like they're watching a movie, like they're suspended in disbelief. Yeah. Are they all suspended in disbelief to such a degree that they enjoy the drama that when they see real drama, they get joy out of it. And I mean, real suffering. And also this thing is climbing up the side of a bell ding and destroying it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> They're watching Pleasure the- center. Pleasure center. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's desens- the other word you could use is desensitization. They've been desensitized to trauma and violence and suffering and horror. To a large degree, um, there's also, you know, you could possibly make the argument that Disney is showing us the whole like interracial couple thing as a, a push because they just love to do as many things with non, I will say non-standard or like non, non-average <laughs> races and genders and busting out of whatever normal so-called normal paradigms you possibly can. So 
that's a possibility too. Um, also notice that the the bride is veiling her face. Thought that was interesting, <laughs> but yeah, people's reaction and reaction to a, a literal demonic cephalopod archon is that's incredible. <laughs> Suspending disbelief, incredible. You know, it's interesting that she's choosing to. It's a it's a purposeful thing that she's not looking now. This dude over here, I didn't notice this that guy. There's always somebody else looking away. There's one person looking away and that everybody's in dark, dark colors, except for her. And she's choosing to, to not look at the dark stuff at the dark stuff. Right. Exactly. Now they, they switch to this, the uh, street scene here, which the, as whenever Marvel does this or Disney does this, when they show street scenes, of course they're, they're, pointing to all these different code. They show, show us numbers. They show us signs. And, and the, here we are where he cuts a. Did I just nail what you wanted to show? No, but I mean, it's, it. it all, it all does, you know, this is all, all it. Oh my God. No, I'm seeing more. Remember what time of year we're in, right? See this spring street. Yeah, and this came out in May. Yep. Wow. It's we're on the corner of Spring and Mercer. Mercer, Mercer, Mercury. March. We're in March. Yep. Yep. The uh, that taxi cab they sh- that's right there. When they show it again in another shot, its license plate is P three o seven, which um. Throw me threw me on to this other loop. Uh, the telephone booth that they show later on, I, I DM'd you that one, those two chants. Um, there's one on the side of the telephone booth that says Magic T. And later on, there it is. Later on, <clears throat> people thought that this was an Easter egg for the T that he was. He's later on uh, roofied by, he's roofied later. Anyway, I don't think that's what it's referring to. I will come back to that. But the magic T is, I think, personally, is uh, theosophy. He's H, what's her name? What's her name, Gabe? HP. Levasky. HP. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But the P three hundred seven, I think personally, is a specific reference to a page number that is in H.P. Blavatsky's Keys to uh, uh, Keys to Theosophy. Theosophy, yeah. Wow. So you think it's page three hundred seven? Yeah, yeah. And we can come back. We can come back to that because I'll. It's. It's talking. Yeah, hit us with that after Gabriel weaves on this. Yeah, go. Yeah, that is cool, Gordy. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, So I saw the same thing. It's kind of cool that, I mean, we watch these totally separate and we come together and we're looking on the same little hints, you know? Like one side of the street is that magic T. It stood out to me too, man. That's so cool, Gordy. That's on his one hand. And on the other hand is the taxi cab. 
And the taxi cab has that iconic T logo on the cab. And for me, putting a T on either side, it means a lot of things. But it brought my mind back to these Saturnian cults who worship uh, time. And that time is signified by the shape of the T, mechanicalistically, mechanicalistically. I think I can say that. Because all mechanical clocks are dependent on a T that tips, the T tips back and forth. Uh, uh, and it's swiveling on a, uh, a little a rivet. And so you can see this T that this uh, secret society initiate is dressed up in a cape, much like uh, Dr. Strange. He's holding this sacred T and it's swinging on a rope. He's not allowed to touch the T because you can't touch time. It's not, it's a, uh, it's, you can't put your hands on it. So the T is too sacred to touch. Uh, so I brought that forward that this, uh, they're it's talking the, about. It's the also magic. the Omega. The top is the Omega, the 22nd letter, the the last letter. Yeah. Of um, many old alphabets would be the Tav. It's the terminus point. It's the yes. boundary that you don't go pra- uh, past. Excellent. Excellently said. Yes. Nice weave on the uh, 6192, because uh-huh. if it's F-A-I-T, that fits the fate theme. Yep. And if it's F-A-I-K, yep. it's fake news, yep. because we're looking at a big like disaster in the big city. It's fake news. <laughs> That's right, man. You got it. And even if it's B, you can also put a B in there for two. And then it's a fable. Or Fabian. <laughs> or fabricated. Yeah. <laughs> Though the Fabians are also the ones that are the wolves in sheep clothing and creating fake news. Crying right, wolf. Buddy. Right. Now, one thing that is really important here that I do not want to miss, and this is a... This is actually integral to the whole uh, the whole thing is the fact that the music that they selected at this exact moment was a really heavy horn sound. They were actually sampling from Fantasia. Oh, interesting. The music that they play in this moment comes from Fantasia, and it is uh, specifically from the scene of on Mount Brocken and here chance I'm shooting you this. Oh, Brock, the Brocken specter strikes again, guys, you guys have heard me go on and on about this before, but in Fantasia, there's a scene where this scary monster appears and he starts to menace over the city below. And he starts to send his little minions to inf- infiltrate the city to scare them into this orgasmic display of terror. And it's all dancing. It's all to music. Well, they are literally sampling the music from this scene as the CD is getting terrified by this monster. So you look into the Brocken Spectre. You look into the history of that actual location in Germany. That is the mountain that they put the broadcasting tower to broadcast the Olympics. The very first, the initiation, the beginning, we are now initiated into the first massive live broadcast. Dude. Right. Okay. So the, the piece that piece of music That's is a called- great freeze frame for Gabriel. Will someone screenshot that, please? <laughs> that. That's what it looks like when Gabriel blows his own mind. Okay. Since he froze, that piece of music is called uh, Night on Bald Mountain. It's by the, a Russian composer. 
uh, named Mazorsky. The name of that, so the Shumagarath, that monster god thing, is named for, so in, um, oh, is it German? Man, they're on tonight, guys. They are on to us for sure. Oh, yeah, dude, because we're pulling so, apart, what, man. Yeah. Finish, finish is, your thought, dude. I'll go back. Okay. All right. So what is really trippy about this, guys? This is so trippy. I mean, we could just do a show on this topic. In fact, maybe we should put a pin in that for another thing, because there's so much to dig out. Mount Brackens, the first place they broadcast the Olympics, it's the beginning of the fiat broadcasting illusion. Uh, and when you read the poem that is correspondent with that location, it actually corresponds consistently with the, the scene in Doctor Strange Part 2. <laughs> and art thou nothing, such thou art, as when the woodmen winding westward up the glen at windry drawn dawn, where o'er the sheep-tracked maze, the viewless snow mists weave a glistening haze, seas full before him gliding without tread, no feet, leaving no footprints, no tracks, um, like uh, uh, snakes for legs, even snakes for legs. An image with a glory round its head. The enamored rustic worships its fair hues, nor knows he makes the shadow. It's a, the shadow in the cave. It's allegory in the cave encapsulated here. And then one more quick fact, because I know we're, uh, we got a long way to go. Oh, nice chance. This is the Brock Inspector. If you get up on that mountain, the sun, at a certain time of day, the sun will cast your shadow onto the clouds below. It's like 360 days of fog below and it makes you into a giant and now you're casting your shadows on the wall like plato's cave so all of the cinematic experience of the collective world is centered on a mountaintop that is an embodiment of plato's cave where you can cast shadows and broadcast your fear you're broadcasting fear into a larger population who is below you the number of metaphors encapsulated in this fact never ceases to reveal. The longer I look, the more it gives. And one last thing is Carl Jung, he believed he was related to the author Gotha, who wrote about Mount Brocken, the place where the witches would meet. So Carl Jung, the master of the collective consciousness, is connected to this location where the collective conscious is getting broadcasts from. Is that a real mountain? Yep. Yeah, okay. in Germany. So in, in Germany, Germany, right. Okay. So Schumagaroth means forest. Uh and that Horoth is is a place in Germany. Yeah, buddy. It's a yeah, forest buddy. in Germany. These guys and I'm, Gore I, I is Welsh for like lots mega extreme gore. And then we all know what gore means in English. Right. Yeah, man. It's so profound. It's so profound. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of consistency in the fact that they chose to play the soundtrack to uh, Fantasia as the monster is terrorizing the people, uh, which goes all the way back to Mount Brocken, where the very first Olympics was broadcast uh, during the World War Two. It was during World War Two that they broadcast it. The uh, and I want to point out that just this week, our buddy. Jim Maiden was doing a sculpture of that exact character 
that that monster demon that's on no. in the Fantasia. He was he was doing a whole series. Go back and look, go back and look at Flow because he he has he's doing those just this week. Wow. So Jim Maiden, jump in there, buddy. And uh, so if I, I don't know if I thought it was know. interesting that the monster has a fish eye perspective. I did too. Um, to me, it makes me think of how like what we get broadcast about our world from the monster's perspective <laughs> is, you know, fish eye lens in the just look at all these things that are claimed to be like shots from high up or near orbit or in orbit. And they're using fisheye lens all the time. <laughs> I remember once a guy, a YouTuber who like sent something up in a, a balloon or whatever with a, a GoPro on it. And he claimed that I'm not using a fisheye lens. And in the video, something jars the camera and it like flips upside down. And at that point, it's completely evident that it was a fisheye lens because it inverts. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a this is a trick that NASA does all the time is show us the horizon that is actually flat and balanced as a curve through fisheye photography. So I thought, I mean, that's kind of what it made me think of. Maybe there's more, or maybe they just thought this would be a cool like horror movie effect. But that's what I thought of. One one quick point while that's still up, Chance. I want to point out that we've got that uh, the there was a car being thrown at a woman with a baby in Doctor Strange. He summons a, uh, a giant demonic lion's head out of the earth, and it jumps up and catches the car and pushes it out of the way so it doesn't smash this lady and her baby. Uh, the color of the car is significant. It's like some kind of Ford Focus. Maybe I think it's a Ford Focus, which is funny. Focused. It's blue. And as she's running, there's a blue car in front of her she's going to run into. And then you can see it right here. These two cars, they're blue. And I'm just going to start doing a blue car count because at the end, I'm going to serve up something nice uh, indicating that, you know, blue cars are part of the program all of a sudden now. Uh, but here we have two hazardous blue cars. There will be more to come. Okay. I, I know what you're getting at. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, that'll be a good one when we get there. Um, so here is the terrible mother, the dragon mother, chasing the daughter back to the whole Tessarion thesis that I really can't go into depth on or flesh out because I, I, I need to refresh on it. But here's the eye as Yoni <laughs> of the Dark Mother. Just thought that was worth pointing out. And then we need to also show what was it that you, I don't know if I can exactly write on hit the point where she flashes over for one second to the, the dream version of herself, but maybe you have a screenshot of that. I wanted to point out where he defeats this monster back to sort of the Hyros Gamos metaphor. He defeats it by throwing a light pole into its eyeball. This is where it's unfortunate that I don't have screenshots saved because scanning around is tough. Um, but basically he puts the pole in the hole, <laughs> you know, he hits the Oculus there. There we go. 
I found it. The moment where it happens. It's quite gruesome, actually. They, I found out that they actually had to tone down the violence in this movie because it was going to get rated R and they didn't want that. It's funny what passes for not an R rating anymore at this point too. But yeah, there's some of the scenes they had of Wanda killing people that they cut are just, you know, vicious gibbifying people turning their, their heads into mist, <laughs> pulling the, pulling their bones out of their living bodies. Horrible stuff. Actually I'm laughing, but it's like mega, mega nasty trauma stuff. Um, was yeah, the first the, director supposedly, a, I can't remember his name, but he was replaced by Sam Raimi, but he was a uh, horror director, correct? I, I don't know the, I don't know the details on that. And you talked about the guy from strange one. Is that what he, yeah, no, no, no. He was the, the guy they had originally hired that Disney had originally hired to, to do this movie um, was a horror a director and he was like bragging about this was going to be the first Marvel's first horror movie. And then they fired him or, and uh, replaced him with uh, Sam Raimi. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Some of the way. horror movie tropes do come through. But I don't know who the original director was. I, I actually, <laughs> you know, overall as a film, I think I like the first Dr. Strange more though. And oh, for sure. At least it had some spiritual components to it that you could point at and be like, this is an accurate metaphor for waking up from the lie of materialism. They had that going on in the first Doctor Strange. This movie is just like <laughs> it's it's the materialism of simulation theory now, uh, in the form of the Gnostic allegory. So right. it's kind of taking a regression in terms of philosophical validity in my opinion oh and the Wanda being like Carrie that's a good point yeah she's very Carrie-esque scary Carrie I I think would you guys say that the first Doctor Strange was less Disneyfied oh for sure I think so I mean, when did Disney take over? Take over Marvel? Yeah. Um, 12, 2019? No, it was, it was earlier than that. Yeah, they, I think they, they bought it and probably around 2010, 2009. No. Uh, yeah, 2012. I don't know. Not important, but it was a slow burn of them taking things over. I remember they had acquired it, but they hadn't really started corrupting the comic books too bad until about 2016. And then they became unreadable. That was the mm-hmm. point where I jumped off of being a comics reader. You know, <laughs> that was the year where like uh, everybody became either the opposite gender or the opposite skin color. Right. <laughs> Every character what, <laughs> like what year? across the board. It was just all at once. What year was that? 2016, I think. Okay, the tower. Two, yeah. two, one, six. Six times six times six. That's a trip. Yeah, it was all probably related to the big polarization scheme of Orange Man and getting everybody firmly entrenched on their lane of right or left. Yep. Now, I think we can kind of skip over 
the scene where they're in um, the diner and America's eating pizza, but because of the fact that she's eating pizza throughout the film multiple times, we do have to just make note of the the nod towards Pizza Gate. I think right. because she's the youth, she's the one that is traumatized by the you know the evil Gnostic elite that yep. is part of this film. So there is like a Pizza Gate nod in that to yep. me. There's a couple of Easter eggs here. Uh, one, and I'm not, they're not important, but they are in- interesting. And they're just maybe something to give people if they choose to go watch the movie after this. Uh, one is that there's, uh, they're constantly flashing police in the background at very key moments in the narrative, in the dialogue. So just pay attention to the movement of authority in the background and what it means psychologically, subconsciously to the, to the viewer in the conversation. So think of what the conversation is about, which direction the cops are going in the background, because they're, they're moving authority. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying before you froze. Basically, they're getting you to watch the drama. They're, they're getting you to focus on the drama while the authority is making moves in the background. You got it, buddy. Yep. And then the other Easter egg here is that she folds her pizza to eat it. I think that's a regional thing. It kind of tells you where she's from. She's a city city kid, but it also goes back to uh, the lead officer of Shield, uh, or no, um, Samuel Jackson's character. He has a phobia of eating folded pizza, and so there's this weird running joke in the Marvel universe about uh, folding pizza. In their, uh, it'll come up later. It's just like this random trivia that plays into. Really? Yeah. Nick Fury has a phobia of folded pizza. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I've never noticed that. Is that in the Captain Marvel ones? I I think it's in the Avengers Endgame when they uh, go to uh, Hawkeye's farmhouse and they're like recuperating and getting their plan together. I think it's in Hawkeye's farmhouse where they they meet up with uh, Nick Fury and he tells him something about Folded pizza is the only thing that uh, that I'm afraid of in this fucking universe. Something like that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But those are just some weird Easter eggs. But yeah, Chance, that's that's about all there is in here. Yeah. And um, great point. Jenny B on her jacket, on America's jacket, it says love is love. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous to call the character America and put her in a stars and stripes, red, white, and blue denim jacket. I mean, that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, but because she's, listen, she's from a parallel universe where she has two moms that speak Spanish, but she's called America and wears the stars and stripes. Like, I don't get it. I'm not saying that there aren't Spanish speaking Americans, obviously. And uh, Lord knows there's plenty of same sex couples portrayed in our mass media at this point but it's so on the nose it's too on the nose that's the running joke of this film is it's a little on the nose you know and then pay attention (laughs) to the things that come out of her mouth Uh, (laughs) yeah like you know in most she at one point she says in in most universes you don't have to pay for food it's kind of weird that you guys have to such a trip 
Which right after that, then she gets chased uh, or gets, uh, you know, confronted for stealing. He has to pay. He pays for her food. And the price is that the labor, the guy who did the work, he has to beat his own ass. That's the cost of her getting food is the guy who fed her has to beat his own ass for three weeks. Yeah. And doesn't even. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the weirdest parts. Strange cast a spell on this guy. And, uh, makes him punch himself in the face for three weeks. And that's Bruce Campbell's character, by the way, pizza Papa. Uh, I'll just fast forward ahead. So we, and we'll skip that when we get to it later, but this is Ash from evil dead pizza. Papa pizza. Papa always gets paid. It's a ridiculous scene. And he casts a three week spell on him to make him hit himself in the face so that they don't have to pay for the pizza balls. Which is also a, a army of dark or a evil dead reference because yeah, his hand keeps you know is in the original by his own hand, right, which is why he had to cut it off and when replace it, it with off, a chainsaw. And when he cuts it off, he he's like, oh, "It's over. It's done. It's done." And then it's obviously not done. But he does that throughout. That's like a th- running theme through all the evil dead movies. And actually, if you wait till the very end after the full credits. Pizza Papa is there again, Bruce Campbell, and he finally punches himself in the face for the last time, and he realizes it's over, and he goes, it's done, or it's over, or something. Basically the exact same reference that you're talking about for Evil Dead fans, which is actually a pretty fun film series. Um, So we'll skip to, in this conversation they have, then they next find out that she came here with uh, the other Doctor Strange's corpse. And so we see that, the Bizarro Strange, or actually they call him Defender Strange because <laughs> he's wearing his Defenders outfit from the Marvel series, The Defenders. Um, Probably can jump forward some more from here. I don't think we need to say much about that. Other than that, Strange says, I've buried worse when he buries his own corpse. Uh-huh. There's, there is one point here that's uh, kind of educational to the to the audience. The uh, um, the two sorcerer or uh, magi they look at each other knowingly as they say, "You know, it occurs to me that we haven't learned your name yet." And then the two two uh, magi they give each other the knowing look. And that is because in order to command something, you must know its name. Hmm. The power of compulsion. And this is also kind of a, a Lazarus reference in terms of him being Jesus, because there, here's a dead guy and he's raising a dead guy up into the air. <laughs> and then, you know, more on that later. <laughs> more on that later. Uh, then we're taken to Wanda. We meet Wanda because they realize that the runes on the so-called runes on the monster indicate witchcraft. So they're like, well, we need to talk to Wanda. So then we jump ahead to see her and she is portrayed with her twin sons. So this is the, uh, the Taurus mother, because remember this film came out in Taurus and she's the mom of the film. And what follows Taurus is Gemini, the twins. So there's that. Gabriel just dropped out and she wakes up from this scene and 
there's probably things you could decode out of this, but for the sake of, <laughs> we will never touch everything that is possible to decode out of this movie, but we will, we will press on. I hope Gabriel pops back in soon. Cause I do want his input on this particular scene right here. Uh, may have some screenshots from it as well. What do you think Gordy about the whole, um, cause I think that you have a lot of, exploration into this as a subject matter but one of the things that there's a this film asserts is that when you dream you are accessing an alternate or parallel universe self yeah you know um that that definitely comes up um and it's i think i don't know if it's dreaming so much as as actually integrating you know different characterizations of yourself like each time somebody sees you like somebody knows you as one thing somebody else knows you as another thing somebody else knows, and and when people see us just in here you know we know each other as one specific thing it may not be the real the thing that we think we are but it's your version of who we think we are and i think a lot of that this is just like strange. He's got all these versions. We're seeing all these different versions, these, these dark versions of him. I think in the end, he's just, he, it's just him. It's all just him. Um, kind of like with her, um, she's the mother, she's the protector, but she's also the scarlet woman. She's the witch. She's the, the, the antithesis to the doctor, which they've also, if you know the Wanda Maximoff actual story, that she is Magneto's daughter. And in the end, it's about her against the mutants. And she's also a twin herself. She's a twin herself. Yeah. Quicksilver is her twin. That's right. And what's Quicksilver? Mercury. So Mm -hmm. we have twins and one of them is named Mercury. So there's Gemini as on the nose as he gets. And one of them is red. She's red Mercury. She's red Mercury. Bingo. That's why she's so infinitely powerful. Gnarly. Um, do you have more on that, Gordy? Uh, you you were saying saying dreams. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I feel like we ex- access those things all the time. Those other realities that uh, maybe we're we're accessing somebody else's version of of their reality of us. I don't know. Um, but like you were talking about in that that first scene being in that astral realm where where all the stuff actually happens later on there is a we, a legitimate wizard's duel which is a uh i feel as an homage to the old uh raven movie from 1963 with Vincent Price and uh Boris Karloff which is a really fun dumb movie if you you have never watched uh, the Raven. It's a Roger Corman movie, 
and it's goofy as hell. And it's got Jack Nicholson in it. It's like one of his first movies. It's, it's dumb fun, but, uh, these wizard duels in reality, wizard duels take place on the astral realm. They don't, they're not two guys sitting in a room, you know, throwing wands at each other. It's, it takes place out there. When you're talking about accessing those dreams of your, your other selves in your dreams, that, that astral realm, that's where a real wizard's duel takes, takes place. Well, I had a dream last night that me and Gabriel were part of a military unit and we were on some sort of other foreign location, maybe even another planet. And our unit was sent with a larger detachment to fight against the gigantic bees. And I uh, had some sort of like uh, sticky ball launcher device and i was fired i was showing the other men in the company how to properly target and hit the bees the giant bees in their flying ice cubes that they were riding in with the big sticky ball launcher <laughs> and then just to show off after i i nailed it with the sticky ball and knocked the the ice cube vessel carrying the giant bees out of the sky then i showed how there was a a back part of the launcher that had like a retractable grappling hook thing. And I like threw it down a, a ravine, but then made it like retract back up to me. And I was like, see, you just make sure you always hold on to this part. And even if you lose it, you can get your sticky ball launcher back right away. I don't remember what else happened in the dream, but whose reality was that? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, Gabe finds his way into my dreams more than almost anybody. So some kind of <laughs> definitely is a wizard. Now, in terms of the uh, doctor versus the witch, I feel like that's very important to point out, too, that we're talking about Doctor Strange versus the Scarlet Witch. Why were the witches demonized? Did they not also carry the knowledge of healing, herbalism, right? I mean, pharmacia is also a word for witchcraft. So it's kind of like a classic inversion where the pharmacists are the witches and the who are called the witches were the healers. And now, you know, pop culture has also carried that inversion forward. And it's like, it's cool to be dark and edgy. I'm a witch. Which you know, uh, bringing back to going back to Hippocrates, uh, Hippocrates' quote is let uh, food be your medicine. Yeah, exactly. And um, now in this scene, Strange goes to visit Wanda. This is their first encounter in the movie. And she is tending an orchard of apple trees. <laughs> Apples, he says. And she goes, eventually. They forget the part where you're supposed to say, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> nice. And if you see behind her, you have sheep because we're in the sign of Aries. We're in the March. We're in the beginning of the year. We have been this whole time. We're in springtime. So vernal equinox, except it's not true. It's not the true vernal. Ver means true. Um, and we see that in a moment when she 
reveals that actually this is a land of like death and decay <laughs> and darkness. But I wanted to point out in terms of the Eve symbolism, obviously the apple pertains to Eve and she's like, she's kind of more like Lilith in my opinion. And America is more like Eve, at least in the Gnostic allegory where Eve is kind of the good guy. Eve even creates Adam, uh, not the other way around in the Gnostic creation myth. And part of what happens with Eve is that to like get away from the archons and the demiurge, Eve actually goes into the tree, the tree of knowledge or the tree of life, depending on maybe how you look at it. She actually goes into the tree, hides herself within the tree. So the tree is the tree of life. Ultimately, we're talking Kabbalism, the tree of reality with the various spheres of reality or Sephiroth or emanations. And the fact that America can go into the five pointed star, which is the apple, which is the apple tree, tree of life. And, and she knows she has the knowledge of good and evil in that she knows the good versions and the evil versions of multiple characters. Right. And she can go between the spheres, between the Sephiroth, between different emanations or parallel realities. So to me, that's the Gnostic Eve. She goes into the tree and she's still being pursued by the Demiurg uh, through that, which is what happens in the Gnostic creation uh, text as well. So that's some analysis of that. And I wondered if there was any reason to like, think twice about the box where she's dropping these flower trimmings because it says Volkers on it, which makes me think of like, I don't know, Volters, like Lushing. She's Lushing these trees. I don't know. That's maybe a stretch. <laughs> However, the other thing I want to point out that is relevant is that these flowers are being put in the box as in in the cube, you know, keeping, keeping, she's the demiurge. She's putting the, the blooms off the tree of life into a box, cutting them off from the tree. That is metaphorical to the, you know, trapping of the souls into the dense matter. And on top of that, uh, just the fact that they're using flower symbolism here and that she's both Sophia and the demiurge. Well, Sophia is Pistis, 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 Sophia, like the pistol of a flower. And there's a lot of flower symbolism going on in the movie, especially in the background. A lot of flowers in the background in different scenes. Anybody got something on that? Well, I, I, I kind of said a lot. Yeah, well, I, I heard uh, one of those Easter egg breakdowns. They said that this scene was changed. Probably in part of that uh, attempt to make it more uh, less rated R, they had to change the scene because in the original writing of the scene, she uh, comes off really aggressive and like uh, shows him the head of Mordo, and she's not hiding the fact that she's evil. And there, in the original one, there was this crazy conf conflict right out of the gates, and she flashes the head of Mordo, um, and I think she pulls it out of like a the box. And so 
they decided not to do that and to shoot it this way instead with this soft, soft revelation as opposed to like throwing headless black men at you in the beginning. Um, so in, so that word on the box, they said in the breakdown that that's actually a character from the Marvel universe who was known for going, traveling in time and rearranging the past to influence the future. And so they put his name on that box because they went and edited the scene. They went back and changed the whole scene and then uh, put that name on the box as like maybe a nod and a wink to the fact that this is not how it was before and things have been altered. You know, it's appropriate that Mordo's head would be there because more is like Mord is the root of Mort dead. That's fun. So, yeah, this is what the place really looks like. Totally desolate. Um, this is her real form. And she's the dark mom. She's the Taurus symbolism. Got the horns of Taurus. Pretty on the nose. <laughs> and the devil as well. Uh, and she's talking about her book of the damned. The dark hold. Well, I thought that that was interesting. Because this black book. And uh, Black Book is also Cube, right? We've brought that up plenty of times. Um, She is in a woodland, first of all. And she is using runes to attack the, the everybody else, using language to control the demons, essentially. Um, where's my notes about this? So... <laughs> I want to make sure I get all of my notes laid out. Uh, I had so many. You guys can say something while I look for this. I have like five pages. Okay. Same with me, man. My my notes were all over the place with this thing. They're in order, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Snake says, that woman's a terrible actor. That's too bad because she's been doing it since she was four. Maybe yeah, she was it, never an actor. Maybe she's more of like a mind control puppet. You know, I mean, they started her pretty young. Mm-hmm. And that's the other interesting thing. She portrays a twin who has twins and she is a twin. Uh, MK, her twin sister, MK Ultrason. It's <laughs> Mary Kate Ultrason. all the way down. <laughs> oh, turtles come up later on, too. Well, okay, so she's got the Dark Hold. That's the name of the black book, the black cube, with the the runes of magic that allow her to control the two-dimensional realm, the pa- paper sea. And to me, like, Dark Hold just makes me think of the Holm Oak, which is the tree that Odin hangs himself upon. And the Hanged Man is a Scorpio thing. She's basically the embodiment of death. I mean, she just turned this entire... Or- uh, orchid orchard of ap- living apple trees into a a dead desolate wold. I mean, a wold is a wooded area or a forested area, right? <laughs> wold is the word because the trees held the leaves and the leaves were the letters. 
And the tree is the father, the Liber Pater, the free father, Bacchus, who was also worshipped as a serpent named Eve, because the mother is the son and the son is the mother's lover. And the mother's lover is the father of the mother's son because they are three in one. <laughs> so she's like, she's basically the, she's the feminine aspect of Wode or Woden, in my opinion. Uh, the dark side or the destroyer side the destroyer side is also the regenerator because the destroyer has the destroyer makes the space just like the ein and then the ein sof sophia is the space that the ein creates so that it has the ability to generate the third part within the space which is a womb so the mother is the destroyer and the regenerator in terms of the Trinity and the Trinity symbolism. Uh, and so she's that <laughs> though. She's in the world. The world is the word, the word and the world are the world that she creates because she's the all mother, all father, the demiurge goddess of wisdom. <laughs> Am I off here? <laughs> I think this is, I think this is like so obvious to me in, in the movie here. I think there's a lot of things. I think they're all true. Good point. And, you know, we, we talk about these uh, writers, whether they're doing it or consciously or sub unconsciously, it comes out either way. So I don't, you know, and we clearly, as you demonstrated earlier tonight with your cut of the deck, that synchromysticism is a thing. Oh, you know what else happened? You know what else happened, guys? The other two cards that fell out after I cut the deck the last time. And I remember I said, oh, some other cards popped up that I wanted to show later. (laughs) Here they are. The Taurus card. The Empress. There's Wanda. And the Lover's card. They were side by side in the deck. Whoa. And they follow each other in the Zodiac. The Lovers being Gemini, of course. The twins. Gemini twins. Wow. Yeah, man. I didn't, I they did that a long time ago. I was just waiting for this moment <laughs> and to be like, yeah, got them right here. <laughs> so whether they know they're doing tonight. It or, whether they're doing it or not, know they're doing it or not, it's happening. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that they have no idea. I think it's their worldview just coming out in their storytelling. Some of it. Yeah. You know, I actually saw a quote from one of the producers that revealed that there is information in the MCU universe that is not disclosed to them. They actually said, I'll try to dig out the quote. I'll see if I can find it. But they actually, somebody asked him a really penetrating question. And he said uh, that that is above my pay grade. Let me see if I can elaborate on that because that means that even within the producer's circle, There is an inner circle that they are not privy to. So as much as we're trying to penetrate their mind, there's a mind inside of that circle that we are, is the real source. You know, that is a, that's true. I remember reading many, many years ago that, uh, and I think it was Chris Claremont. I'm not sure. One of the, one of the X-Men writers, was <laughs> somebody was asking them about, because, you know, they do a whole, the whole background 
of each of the characters, you know, extremely detailed um, backgrounds and character studies on each of these characters so that they can get them down. And when they do that, that becomes like these egregores that really become, come alive. And one of the things that I think that, I think it was Chris Claremont said was Nightcrawler not only had two fingers, but he had two dicks. <laughs> you don't get to say that sentence very often. No. So thank you for letting, giving me the opportunity. Nightcrawler is a great character. <laughs> He's Catholic as fuck. That's right. Okay. So the other thing to point out, remember, remember this title of the film is multiverse of madness. Mom. M O M. Well, mad is the root of madre. Ma- and backwards it's dom or dam or dame which is another word pertaining to the feminine so even and this just goes right over people's head even the very phrase damned as in you know you've been damned by your sin the apple that eve bites according to the christian genesis story damns humanity well the dam is the mom <laughs> the dam is the madre the dam is the mad and damned is a anagram for maddened. So <laughs> this, this worldview has been inculcated in humanity, especially in Western civilization of, you know, blaming Eve for the fall forever, but blaming Eve is blaming the mother and blaming basically the, uh, the goddess for <laughs> it'd be like being inside. I mean, I say it would be like, I mean, I think it basically is imagine being a baby inside of your mother's womb and being super pissed off about being in the womb and all the growth and all the nutrients she's providing you. And you're like, you've damned me. I'm trapped in this, this matrix matrix means womb, by the way, <laughs> I mean, that's basically the worldview that has been uh, foisted upon humanity. And it, it's the same as like dividing us from the true understanding of how electricity works by conflating the term negative with both the force and the polarity sense and with badness and evil. So, you know, good and evil are not equivalent to positive and negative in terms of like truly they're not they're not truly synonyms even though they're used that way in language yeah it's like channeling any kind of uh self responsibility onto your maker the person who made you and it's like you know if you don't if you don't have the wherewithal to fucking own up to the your situation yeah, it's inevitable you're going to pawn it off on the person who who brought you here. And that's a very uh, old program. Inculcated is a great word for it too, Chance. Great, great word choice. And Snake says, Yaldaboath is the child in the womb. That kind of fits with the idea that the mother is the son or the son is the mother. Because when the baby is still connected and in the womb, they are one entity in that sense. They are two in one. 
And then she also says something interesting that the hex was the easy part. The lying, not so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. And maybe that's why, maybe that's like a little subtle nod or, or wink from the cosmos about how, you know, they, they easily hex us all day long through their media, which has the same root as magic and it has the same root as medic <laughs> pharmacia, but they don't really lie that much to us. The lying is actually, you know, when they do lie, it's really obvious that there's a lie going on. Most of the time they just put the truth in plain sight and they give us this, you know, multiplicity of, of uh, definitions so that we are sort of led to an interpretation that is inaccurate, but the interpretation that is accurate and truthful is always right there and present and apparent, right? Truth is never actually able to be hidden. I think that's part of the nature of reality. But the the other quote that she says here, (laughs) it's ridiculous. She says, I'm going to leave this reality. Her name is Wanda, which is Manda. Manda means gnosis. So she's a Gnostic. And the Gnostics are all always like, the pop culture Gnostics are always like, I'm going to break out of the simulation. I'm escaping the matrix. I'm getting away from the white light trap. Uh, and the funny thing is, a self-proclaimed Gnostic who does understand the allegory in this film will watch this movie and go, they're telling us the truth, man. <laughs> I think that's why, I think that's part of why this is always pushed in films like The Matrix and like this. It's a slave mentality. Keeps people in the victim posture. And I also see that the, uh, I think that the elites maybe do want to do some sort of a jailbreak on the construct. I think that's what Sabbateanism is all about. The uh, most despicable against natural law behavior that you can engage in as a way to almost like glitch the matrix in, in their eyes, I think. I mean, yeah, it doesn't man. obviously work. I don't think you can ever break natural law. That's sort of what makes it law. <laughs> right. So th- some of my thoughts on this is like bringing it over from our, our show on the Gnosticism on Wednesday to this is like, you know, you and I have been talking about the idea that uh, the word Homer may translate to hostage. And there's a lot more to blow up on that idea, but let's like let's kind of bring that into this conversation real quick. And if you're in a prison, you actually get to do whatever you want. They just put walls around you so you can't expose the rest of the world to it. The real prisoner in the prison is the warden. The warden and the, is the, the guards too. Yeah, is the true prisoner. They're carrying their prison with them. They go out to the bar. They go home that night. They go wherever they go. They're still a warden. They're still trapped inside uh, so many rules uh, that they can't even keep track of them all. Same thing goes for the producers in Hollywood. The fact of the matter is, they are trapped. They are in a prison. They are locked in do not disclose non disclosure agreements. They are hostages. We have the freedom. And so these people at the top who are locked into their whatever control of information, whatever all that means, they are in a prison. 
And so their whole attitude, their whole mentality is being uh, trickled down, exposed to us in a way that um, we, I think a lot of people pick up on it and presume that they're in the same situation. And so I think that the, uh, the fact that the source of this creative expression is coming from people who can't even live their own life uh, or speak their own truth uh, is maybe being mis uh, being misread uh, that you know the prison planet is only the case for the people at the top and the fact of the matter is all of us down here at the bottom we are free baby we're free we're beautiful we're the source we're the creators the individual the ultimate empowered minority. So in this scene, too, between them speaking here in the the dark hold forest, the the dark wold. <laughs> uh, oops, almost refresh the page. That would have been tragic. He, she says to him, "If you knew there was a universe out there where everything you wanted was true, or or you were, you know, happy, wouldn't you want to go there?" That's the basically that's the apple that. Eve dangles over Adam in terms of the mm, the temptation of this taking this allegory to heart and believing that this is a fallen world is that the same it's the same thing that is really done in most religious systems where you know it's about what you can get in the next world in the afterlife don't worry about being a slave in this life. Just be obedient. Just, you know, don't be, don't be bad and you'll be rewarded in your next life. <laughs> and he says, I am happy, which is actually a lie. And, uh, you know, there's something to dissect with that too. Maybe, uh, that you can't always be happy. And that's part of accepting the isness of, you know, <laughs> the the ability to exist in a in a creation requires this triangle these three points between happy sad neutral tragedy comedy uh in the middle point right it requ- i think it requires that i accept that <laughs> i can't conceive of any philosophical uh way to have experience to have manifest form to have a, st- a story <laughs> ultimately none of those things could exist without that triangle you when someone tells me how they could exist uh go for it i would love to hear but that's the fantasy that is believed in is that you're going to go to the heaven you're going to go to just one corner of the triangle and somehow you'll still exist first of all <laughs> yet in this belief system according to how it is put forward by People like the way how do you described it? If there's anything to perceive at all, essentially any ego, which means any sense of self or any consciousness, you're still in the illusion. You're still in the louche farm. So, I mean, without coming right out and saying it, what people like that are saying is, I want pure self nullification. <laughs> I want pure oblivion, which the irony is. You're already in the womb of the goddess of the universe in this life. You are in a womb right now. You know, like it's wombs within wombs. 
I think personally, <laughs> I think that that's part of the fractal of it. You yeah, die, buddy. you come through another Yoni portal, pop out, you're in another life, womb hopping. But the irony is like they think they want to return to the womb state, the pre-birth state, pre-incarnation state, not realizing that you're never not in that state. <laughs> you're always in a gestation period before a birth. There are these events, these demarcations of life and death, you know, birth, you know, you go to sleep, you wake up, this happens. This is the cycle. This is the uh, creator, destroyer, regenerator, and then savior. It happens. It does. We go through it every day in a 24 hour period. And you're never going to get to a pre-existent state yet. That is what is sold to us by technology. The comfort of you know, everything's taken care of for you. That's what's sold to you by communism. Mommy government is going to take care of you. You know, your, your womb, it never ends. That's what's sold to you by the metaverse. Just go back into this no responsibility pre-life state of nothing but dream and no doing. <laughs> and, you know, that's what the, uh, that is what the nihilist trapped in these belief systems is actually seeking. And the irony of it is on, on some level, they are seeking what is right in front of their nose, believing that they don't have what it is that they want. <laughs> what they want is some kind of peace, but to achieve peace, you do have to have, I mean, in the I Ching, the hexagram peace is the yin over the yang. It's called a yin yang. And that's representative of the masculine force, the yang, supporting the yin, not the other way around and not, you know, not destroying the yin, <laughs> not attacking the yin, not hating the yin, supporting the yin. Also, though, not not the other way around in the sense of not the yin supporting the yang. <laughs> not that way. That creates the dynamic of standstill. Actually, according to the I Ching, I know the I Ching isn't gospel or whatever, but it's an awesome philosophy. Um, very, very hermetic. So I just bring that up because I had a client today that achieved the hexagram of peace, which is 11, by the way, in the, it's number 11. Um, <laughs> been kind of ranting for a little bit there. So then, uh, this is just me on a long diatribe against pop culture Gnosticism. <laughs> True Gnosis would be recognizing where you're at is where you've always ever been, which is the present moment, the now. And there's never ever been anything else. There's nowhere else to go. Uh, suicide is impossible because you can never get away from yourself because yourself is where you are. That's your home. <laughs> you're always there. There's nowhere else to go. You're you're stuck with you no matter what. And that's why you was the name of the God. In the old days. Yeah. So one thing from this scene that stands out to me is he gets confronted on hypocrisy one more time. And when she says that to him, he goes into these excuses that uh, you can almost tell by the way he delivers them that they're worn out. He's uh, he's said these things before and he doesn't even believe them himself anymore uh, just by the way he delivers it. But he says we were in war and I had I did what I had to do. Um, and it just is really profound considering our current state of reality with the uh, lockdowns. In the fact that emergency powers grant them the ability to absolutely circumvent everything you thought you knew about right and wrong. 
uh, which uh, you thought hypocrites were bad when it's not in wartime. Uh, when it becomes wartime under emergency powers, uh, upside down world, basically. There's another reference to Westview in that scene, which is from the show WandaVision, which I never watched. But as far as I, what I ascertain about it is that it's a six part series where Wanda's the main character and she's created like a fictional reality, more Gnostic metaphor, more Sophia. <laughs> she's created a, a false reality and trapped like other people in it. Yeah. Maybe. And it's maybe it's like where she learns witchcraft or something, how to turn her powers into real witchcraft. I don't exactly know, but I find it interesting that they call it Westview. Like yes. they're like they're asserting um, a reference to West world, which is one of the other things I haven't seen, but that many pop culture Gnostics point out and go, look, this is the truth. We're robots in West world. I'm like, if you think you're a robot, go for it. That's fine. I'm not a robot. I, I, I do pick what I have for breakfast. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even have breakfast. So w- one thing that's kind of trippy about the name, that West view, it's the W and the V. Well, it's Wanda vision is the show also. And the V's are, we've talked about this, are interchangeable with F's. And, and so the, interchangeable with uh, you. Oh, yeah. In Latin, right? So it's like W-U-U, like triple U. Triple U. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, It made me think of Wheel of Fortune because V in uh, Roman is a five. So you got the uh, the W in the V is a six in the five, uh, which we've talked about a lot. The W's and the F's, Wheel of Fortune, uh, Ferris Wheel, uh, having a lot to do with the card number 10. The Wheel of Fortune card. There's a lot of things with the W's and the F's. Uh, five plus six giving you 11, being the pillars initiating you into the temple. Going into the private uh, right there at the fall equinox. What you got, Gordy? Well, I was just going to say that I watched WandaVision. It's weird as hell. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of weird Disney things where it's, you know, showing everything's fake. Um, they're using all the, uh, you know, they use nostalgia as a weapon now. As, as, you know, one of the things, her power is essentially mind control. The way she she gets in, like when the, later on, I don't, I don't <laughs> honestly, I lost track of where we are in the movie, but... When We're basically she, at the part where she's about to attack Carmitage. Okay. Well, in the, so like in, thirty minutes yes. into the movie. <laughs> right. Okay. Then this is perfect. Then. Okay. So in WandaVision, the whole the whole Westview thing is is an illusion. The whole the whole neighborhood that she lives in with her family. The the we see we know that the boys are an illusion. She's made up her twins, and they don't actually exist. Um, one of the, the reason she's able to break into Carmitage is not because she uses brute force or beats them at their their shielding. She chooses one guy, and she goes, "Run!" and creates fear in the one guy. That guy bolts, creating a 
hole in their wall and she's in piece of cake, right? Phalanx falls. Yeah, that's right. And this is how she, she gets advantage every time is, is by controlling somebody's mind. Okay. Gordy, you set it up. I've got to take it there. Can I back you you up? Can I back up real quick in terms of plot? We move very quick little, very quick, quick little thing. Um, well, a couple of things. <laughs> Here we go. Who's the uh who are the sorcerer leaders that come to meet with the sorcerer supreme Wong to defend Karmataj? We have Chinese or Japanese people. I can't always tell the difference. So the Eastern mysticism and an Irishman because it's the same system. <laughs> Ogham is the secret language in the Irish mystical tradition. Ogham is Agam, which in Hindi or Sanskrit, Agam means secret. <laughs> it's the same thing, Ag, Og, same thing. Um, provably so. Dylan proves it quite uh, quite conclusively. That like Agamoto? <laughs> like Agamoto, 100%. 100%. I actually thought that earlier. Um, so they bow before the sorcerer supreme right he's the head sorcerer well a when you bow something as in what you do when you bow curve it the word for that in greek is archi or arche like arch something's arching and that is also the latin word referring to a actual bow that you shoot things with and so on the arches <laughs> of this fortress there are archers with bows and they bow. They're told to bow before the arche or archie, archie, if you will, the archon of the sorcerers, the head. So anyway, there's just like a whole bunch of things pertaining to that one word that I went in depth on, on the vibrant archie, which is one of the epithets of the goddess Maya archie. So I thought that was neat. <laughs> Um, but I also thought it was, you know, this go, we'll just go right over people's heads. The, the symbolic show, they're showing you the link between the Irish system and the Eastern, uh, religions being basically the same thing that, uh, Odin is the, the, is the teacher of Agam and Agam is Agam and Odin is Vishnu. (laughs) It goes on. Um, so what were you going to bring up, Gabriel? I said it was just going to be real quick. And I, then I just went crazy <laughs> with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so one thing about the bowing that was, uh, that I got out of that, the fact that he, he's like, Oh, I'm aware of the traditions and he withholds in a couple of places, even when others are bowing. Um, well, the Sagittarius is, has command of the bow. And so the bowing, he, withholds and he is wrong superior in every way right and and ophiuchus right there at the beginning of sagittarius right between scorpio and sagittarius november 22nd ophiuchus he's stepping over the cosmic void he's stepping across the cosmic plane he's superseding the bow the archway uh so it's very interesting that he he's uh long keeps hinting that you should bow. He like comes right out and says it. And he's like, I'm aware. I know, but he just doesn't do it. 
And he does it in the moment that he wants to. And it's at the very end, at the end of the full arc of the movie. That's a good weave right there. I'm trying to find my note regarding her showing up as a cloud. Because I kind of realized... I got you. Can you pull up the most recent one I sent you, man? I'm so stoked for this. I'm so <laughs> stoked for this. Guys. Okay. You sent me a couple. Oh, they're the same one. All right. This one's really two in one. When you make these vertical ones, they don't always look as good on the I know. Screen, I, need but a, I can, I can I zoom though. I on my computer. Yeah. There's this app also called Canva that you can use to make graphics that you may find works really well for you. And it can also make PowerPoint style presentations. I want you to practice with that and then make us a presentation for horsemen. Oh man. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I'm giving my orders. This is, this is my realization in this project was that she is, uh, she is the echidna. We find out later. She is the uh, Medusa. She has been prophesized. Uh, with an image of Medusa. It's on the book. It's at the temple. And she says, this is my throne. As she takes the throne, she becomes the echidna, the Medusa. So we also have known and asserted already that she is uh, Sophia, which um, also corresponds her to Persephone. We know that she goes on a journey through the underworld. She's drenched in pomegranate, blood red, uh, themed colors thematically. She uses clouds, smoke, and camouflage uh, as her tactical signature. So we look up the word cephalopod. Cephalopod literally translates. These are this is another name for squid, octopus, uh, who use fog, clouds of ink for camouflaging. They cannot be contained. Remember when Dr. Strange was trying to capture that monster and it kept breaking out three different ways? The tentacles were breaking out. That's what octopi do. They escape. They're escape artists. So the fact that she uses clouds of ink to attack is very indicative of a cephalopod. Now look at the literal translation for cephalopod, guys. Look at the literal translation. It means... Head feet. She is a mind walker. She's walking through your mind. Her feet are in your head. She's walking through people's mind. That is her. It's also the transition between Pisces to Aries. Now, an octopus, octopus, uh, their brain is actually in their their tentacles. They're in their legs. What? When when um, so. The suckers of an octopus have have they can smell, they can taste, they it does everything. The brain isn't in the head of the the octopus. The the brain the the head of what we think of as the head of the octopus is just the organs and the uh, the propellant. Like it's it's where it sucks it in, and you know it's it's like its lungs. The brain of an octopus is in its tentacles. So it's literally in his free feet. Yeah, that's good stuff. Both of you uh, didn't. I mean, I knew there was going to be some Medusa stuff here. 
Oh man, that is so wild, guys. Headwalker. Wow. She's the headwalker. And then guess what? She breaks the fourth wall in the film. She looks into the camera. She goes into the spectator's head. She's going facing you straight on. She's walking. Nice freeze. <laughs> we didn't get you a new computer, some headphones. Maybe I think it's the computer, not your internet, buddy. If I had to guess. Could get overheated from long streams. Uh, but yeah, she was. It, you were saying you're pointing at the forehead, talking about the third eye. Okay, are you guys with me? Yeah, you're back now. Are you back? Maybe not. Nope, not yet. Well, okay. So, speaking of being fuck. the mother of monsters or the Medusa, though, I pointed out already multiple times her name Wanda means gnosis. If you look at it as Manda, she is. Symbolic of the dogma, dogma of pop culture Gnosticism. I want to leave this reality, her exact words. That is the dogma that I am doing all of this work just to dispute and refute. (laughs) That specific, that one phrase is why all these hours of work is being done. (laughs) To refute the I want to leave this reality phrase <laughs> so she's a she's the dogma you know she's a a, a bitch total bitch <laughs> okay right, i think you're really back now gabriel i lied you're not well we got gordy <laughs> okay so oh, they know they know that we know they know <laughs> god do you freeze again it's because okay. maybe if we like take away the medusa staring at us we, I, was, I think it's because we had Wanda on screen looking into the camera. She was gorgoning you, dude. You were freezing. I'm sure that it'll get better now that we again. took her down. <laughs> Later on in, uh, in uh, Professor, we get a, a load of uh, the Illuminati. Um, they introduce Professor X finally to the MCU and... In, there is a point where she uses that uh, the ink to attack Professor X to come out of the ink, out of the smoke to attack him. So, yeah, it's definitely a cephalopod thing. That's really, really good. Gory, I'm tripping that you just told me their brains are in their hands. There's a lot more to that. I got to do it now. I got to do it now. I'm going to try to be fast before they jam my signal. <laughs> well, I took her down. She's not gorgoning you anymore. Okay, good, good, good. So Dr. Strange, when he learns the sling ring maneuver, when he le- learns that maneuver, his brain is in his hands. And the only way that he can do the first sling ring is to put him in the Himalayas where his hands go numb. He's no longer thinking of his hands. So now he's like that other master. And he starts doing the sling ring with no hands. So there's something about the the brain being in the hand, thinking that you are your hand that is holding you back. And by not being just your hand, you become. And look at the hands, the hands on the head. Right. Oh, my God. I can't take it. I can't take it, y'all. <laughs> okay, we are really on to something. We are oh, really yeah. on to something. 
all the all the real magic books say the magic is in the hands, not the butt. The Aleister Crowley thing is a, is, <laughs> is bullshit. Magic right. is in your hands. That's why they're always. That's why they're doing movements, man. That's why that's mudras, what mudras are. That's why mudras work. Absolutely, magic man. is here. That's why we use toilet paper. To not get the <laughs> shit on our hands. <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. Wow. So thank I, you, Gory. I feel like I had something profound related to her being a cloud, but if I find it in my notes later, we'll just go for it then. I do want to go back into the plot here where the next thing is after she shows up in the cloud, uh, Strange attempts to have diplomatic conversation with her and, you know, hold his ground against her craziness. <laughs> and basically she says to him, cause he's mustered the full might of all the sorcerers of the world against her. Right. And she says to him all this for a child you met yesterday. Okay. So she is wanting to sacrifice America to steal her power basically vampire vampire her and what is it what is it called when you murder a child and what does sophia what is it said about sophia that she does to create her own reality abortion she has an abortion to create a new heaven and realm underneath sub to the main heaven so she's trying to abort America to create a new reality. America is being sacrificed to create a new world. I mean, is it a little on the nose? <laughs> it's an, definitely an abortion. Um, and then the other, the other thing that is just too obvious to me is how Wanda, who is Gnosticism, I mean, she can be seen as Sophia, she can be seen as the Demiurge. She can be seen as a believer, the the elites who believe in Gnosticism itself, uh, you know, as the pop culture, not actual knowing the meaning of the word. She is ironically quoted in this scene of saying, I've been very reasonable. I was being reasonable. Now I'm going to not be reasonable anymore as a threat. <laughs> and that's the irony of this stupid dogma is that it claims to be reason. It claims to be logic. You know, it claims to be logos when in fact the dogma is based off of a copy of a copy of a copy. It's based off your interpretation of somebody else's interpretation of somebody else's interpretation of a translation of a scripture that might not even be authentic. That is based on uh, another language and it's, version of what the star constellations mean that were decided in their meaning by an earlier civilization. It is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And that's what you're taking as your reality. So in a very literal sense, those that believe the Gnostic mythology as factual creation story history have made that reality true for themselves. They believe they are in a reality that is a copy of a copy. It's a hyper reality, as Baudrillard says. And that is nothing. There's no logic or it's not reasonable. 
<laughs> they're not being reasonable. They're not using their reason or their actual senses to determine. They're using impure, chaotic emotionalism with no logic. That's what makes it the dark feminine. And that's what she represents. Pure, unbridled, chaotic emotionalism. And when you listen, you know, I consider Howdy a friend. I like Howdy. Okay. I don't mean to beat up on Howdy. He's just the most recent person we talked to about this. He's one of many people who feel this way. But when you listen to the rhetoric that he shares about it, I feel this. I feel that. He says feel a lot, you know, and there's nothing wrong with feeling. But if it's feeling that's untempered, chaotic emotionalism and logic is thrown out the window, because face it, fear is an emotion. (laughs) And a lot of this is like the fear of, well, what if I'm wrong? What if this really is all fake and I didn't and I didn't believe in it? And so then I get stuck in hell forever. The exact same thing that the Christian who's afraid to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. So I might as well just believe in it does pure chaotic. That's why these, that's why the occult feminizes you. If you're not careful, if you don't balance it with actual logic, (laughs) you know, if you don't balance it with grounded masculine activities or behaviors, you know, Mm -hmm. martial, martial arts, not just mystic arts. Nice. And I think that's what makes Dr. Strange, <laughs> you know, he's an M, he's the MMA fighter. He's the yeah. you know, master of the mystic arts. He's the MMA. Nice. He's he's logical. He's not that's why he's like standing against the dark feminine. He is yep. unbalanced towards the side of, you know, the logic or the masculine and has to integrate, but he does integrate the feminine side cuz he's mixed. He's, Martial his, arts. His cape, which is red, the masculine, actually, by the end of the film, has a blue spot in it. In its the yin, the yin enters into his yang. You know, the the yeah. dot, the the black dot in the middle of the white. Yep. And the shape of the hole in his cape is the shape of the coffin inside of Ophiuchus. It's the shape of the coffin uh, constellation within the constellation, which is called a astro. Help me out, Chance. Uh, Asterism. Asterism. Uh, Constellation and a constellation is asterism. Uh, I want to point out why the dark feminine is so fucking scary. And it's in this moment when he goes up to talk. Oh, no, we lost him again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just one of the gods of Ashanti is Aster. Maybe you would do better coming in from your phone, Gabriel. Maybe, maybe I would. Tonight is weird. I think the Russians are trying to get us. Um, All right, real quick. The reason the divine feminine is so fucking scary is if she decides to know, because reason is her, uh, is her arena should be. But if she leaves reason behind, men are not able to handle her. When it is no longer reasonable, it becomes physical. And it's time to become physical. (laughs) And there is so much stigma around touching a woman. And you better believe they know that. You better believe they know that. And so uh, communicating with the opposite sex is a very delicate situation. Because if they leave reason behind, then it's no longer time to, to be around each other. Yeah. And one thing that is left out with the whole domestic abuse situation 
is how often, and I'm not saying it's only one way, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone in this audience is going to jump on me for this, for saying this, but we know of course that some men abuse women, but some women abuse men. Some domestic disputes start with Wanda attacking Karmataj and they have to fight her off. And when she comes up all bloody and battered and calls the police and says, he attacked me, who do they believe? Because of the programming that society has got, it's almost always hashtag me too. <laughs> you know, when we don't know, we we weren't there, but at least some of the time the woman comes off the handle and attacks the man and he has to defend himself too, because just someone smaller or weaker, if she's holding the knife and he's not the one holding the knife, <laughs> shit, man, doesn't matter if you're bigger. So there's that, uh, that happens. And this, this movie's about that. Now, the other thing too, um, you know, you could consider these uh, initiates that are the followers of, of Wong and uh, Dr. Strange defending Karmataj. You could consider them like the cult of Kirke or Churchy church, right? They're the church. And, um, you know, you could consider them the Gnostics even <laughs> in terms of like as a group. Uh they are wiped out by Vatica in this scene. You know, this is like the massacre of the Cathars or the massacre of other, you know, the Templars potentially. You could look at it that way, especially, especially considering the Templars literally did have fortresses like this. And um, then they're wiped out by the Dark Ma, Vatica. <laughs> yeah. So one point that comes to mind in this uh, right here in this scene the only person who strikes Wanda physically multiple times in the film is Sarah, who is a black woman who is, uh, we think is Wong's sweetheart. Actually, uh, Sarah is the black woman who uh, is like a admiral or a commander at Carmitage. She strikes Wanda with the cannon and actually hits her and throws her off course. Later on, Sarah comes in again. And she's the only one, the black woman is the only one who gets a solid hit uh, in on uh, Wanda uh, in a couple, in a couple key moments, actually. Cat fight. <laughs> well, she kills them all. So it's kind of ironic. The, one of the reasons why I liken them to like maybe the Cathars or something, a group that is wiped out by the Vatican who are proclaimed as Gnostics is because they actually believe in her. Like they believe in the prophecy of the Scarlet witch. And then it actually destroys them. Damn. Nice, man. Nice. Their belief in Sophia, if you will, their belief in the, the Gnostic dog, Ma gets them killed by the dog, Ma Vatica. That's what, how I, I think that's what it is. You know, I'm not saying that you should, uh, <laughs> bow to bow to the Vatican either, but like I feel that I don't know, it's controlled opposition. You create these groups, Cathars maybe, Templars maybe. You see who will rally to the banner of heresy against your all controlling order. And now they're all rounded up in one spot. You know who's ready to dissent against you because you've given them the opposition which you actually control. Then you can wipe them out. 
it happens throughout history in all kinds of places aside from religion. So to me, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, another thought right on this scene, the collective is the good guys in that one individual is the bad guy. And that is another part of this program that the, that the, the independent one is evil. Uh, and it is also, uh, she does that infiltration thing where she's the, outs- yeah, the outsider. Yeah. And she slips up behind the one guy's ear and says, run, like you said, Gordy, and he runs away and it gives her the weak link that she can infiltrate. Well, he is the. And in most universes, you don't have to pay for your food. So communism (laughs) is what you're pointing out is communism programming in this movie. Yes. There's a lot of it in Marvel. Yeah. That Disney owns it. And the fact that the way the bad thing that happened was one of the people of the collective decided Maybe I'm not with all the rest of these guys around me. And maybe maybe I'm not part of this collective. And because he faltered. It's a white guy. And he's a white dude. Totally. Yeah. So I just men going their own way. And he lets men going their own way lets down all of society. MGTOW fucking breaks the phalanx. (laughs) The magic uh, T-A-O MGTOW. So broken mirror symbolism, uh, strange as a way to defend or slow down Wanda. He drags her into the mirror universe, which is the only real, this is really the only usage of the mirror realm in this particular movie. Uh, so she sees her own reflection. <laughs> you know, she basically, this is interesting because Wanda is frightened by the mirror world. Right. Well, one of the names of the mother is Mira or Mirror, the mother of Adonis. And uh, Mary, Maya, Mira, these are all plays off of each other because Mar, water, is reflective. So she's frightened by the mirror, <laughs> she's frightened by the mother. And this is to me indicative of how now that she's become the the dark ma, the dog ma, um, her own mother created this trauma in her, the dragon fight, as Tesserion calls it. If you fail, if the if the female fails the dragon fight, essentially overcoming um, the competition that their own mother puts them in against herself, then they become the next iteration of the dragon mother, basically. But so when she sees herself in the mirror, she sees the dragon mother. It scares her because that's the thing she's been afraid of this whole time. That's where she was initially dominated and traumatized. At least in, in my reading of, of the dark of the psychology of the, you know, dark female psychology, not, not integrated females or healthy females, but like the way that, the occultists, the dark occultists who know psychology because occult, occult knowledge is basically just knowledge of psychology. Because when we're talking about the natural laws of the universe, the universe operates as a, a big holistic psyche, right? That's what the, that's why it's a mirror. Your psyche operates one way. Universe operates the same way. It's a all psyche. That's all there is. So, um, 
<laughs> the dark occultists, if you will, know this. And that dynamic of the way the the dragon mother, the dragon fight, it's essentially what I'm trying to describe is how through media in particular, um, women are turned into a doomsday weapon against themselves and thus all of society. This isn't to lay all blame of society's problems on women, but actually <laughs> I'm making an argument of the real power of the mother in the sense that she not only dictates the way the daughter behaves, who becomes the next mother, or not necessarily dictates, but influences through this dragon fight dynamic, but also raises the, the male too. Men are raised by women. Both sexes are raised by women, typically more than they're raised by the male. So if you were going to target one of the pillars to corrupt and destroy a society, to infiltrate and undermine institutions as communism does, you would probably target the female. And then weak males would result from that without the males even needing to be targeted that much. That's my two cents. Go for the heart of the family. This is, yeah. there's precedence for exactly these spells that they're showing here. For mirrors have been used for containing people, as in containing spirits, as in like the psychomantium kind of thing, which is what he's doing to her right here. But here's the converse is that she uses the, these mirrors to get out because the the mirrors are portals. She uses that to target the guards outside of it through their reflection in something else. So she targets the, the guards, and that's how she escapes, is using the mirror as a portal to, to get them in. She's like an octopus, master infiltrator. Mm -hmm. Shifter. Right. And one more point here is her her uh, her love of her life is named vision. And so the moment of hesitation is when she's confronted with the her own visage and she has to become still and reach forward and touch it. And that is how she transcends the trap. Uh, but I just think it's very interesting that we're talking about the trauma and uh, locking her in place. So she's confronted with her own trauma with the mirror, which is encoding her uh, her one love that she lost. And she becomes still and reaches forward and engages it. And that's how she gets through. And even her costume has a V on the chest. So when she sees herself, she's seeing the, you know, her own homage to vision in a way. Yeah. Hmm. You know, they said her costume, that little neck spot, the nape is actually shaped intentionally in the same shape as Vision's crystal. The diamond? Yeah, so they've got it down there on her her thyroid. His third eye is her thyroid, so there's some weird flip-flopping, uh, yin-yanging going on. Yeah, you can see it there. And before she walks in, there's just a little nod to the, uh, the gatos right. at the gate here. Yes, sir. Two lions at the gate. She eclipses one of them. The camera moves such that she eclipses one of the of the lions. This is a lunar standstill encode. They are resetting the lunar standstill cycle with this scene. 
And it would be very interesting to find out what happens 18.6 years after the film was released. Uh, just a quick, uh, my two cents on that. Another thing too, about the, the vision aspects he brought up makes me think of how, uh, in Valhalla underworld in a sense, or at least vision would go there as a warrior, right? Metaphorically, they are served, uh, liquor called Sarah Visia. It's got the viz root and that root refers to strength. Visus in Latin, which is also like a real near, real near phonetically visus is to Jesus, I thought. Yeah. But this sere is seed and visia, uh, that's like a seed of strength is buried in the underworld. So in a sense, like this entire, like maybe that was a corruption of its day to teach people, go die in battle and you'll be united with the God. But really what's happening is all of the society's strength is being buried underground like a seed. Sari Visia. Nice. Because the strongest men are the ones that will go fight in the war and then they'll be dead. So it's a way of another way of knocking down the masculine pillar, which is, I think, what this movie is talking about as well. The attempt to knock down the masculine pillar. You know, it's like tipping over the feminine pillar into the masculine pillar, <laughs> knocking them right. both down. Right. Which is what Samson did. Samson collapsed the two pillars. I decided he, if he can't beat them, you might as well join them. And the best thing he could do was just kamikaze collapse the whole thing, which will come into play at the end. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Three hours in, 25% through the actual movie in terms of plot. You guys want to take um, you want to take a short intermission, play the play the intro music or whatever. Come back That's in a few. Idea. I think we should. Yeah, because okay. I kind of want to get. I kind of want to do it in one go. I I don't know if we would really get it all if we tried to. Anyway, I think I can. I think it can go for at least another hour. But I want to take an intermission. Yeah, let's do that. If we could get to the halfway point, we could convene again soon like very soon because we're prepared. i like that idea we could do it yeah like sunday so that soon? might be the move because it gets hot um, i'm gonna premiere an interverse on sunday <laughs> so there's that but maybe like monday soon maybe like monday soon Mondays. so uh, no monday is gordy's thing maybe like tuesday soon yeah Okay, so not too long. Okay. Or maybe the interverse on Tuesday. Either way, let's take an intermission. We'll be back in about five, three and a half. I might let it play partially through a second time. Give us a little longer. Anyway, we'll be back shortly, though. So don't go anywhere, folks. Go get more popcorn. Get a drink. Use the bathroom. See you in a few. I was thinking I was going to sneak in before anybody else did, and then I was going to hijack the whole thing. And go ahead, hijack away, dude. Turn it into. I'll I'll even go away. You talk. uh, (laughs) Hey, I do want to show this thing. So this is the actual uh, movie poster from this that. My wife brought back from California last May when it premiered. You noticed 
And I think I've shown this before, but uh, we got the oracles up here in these corners. Definitely the triangle thing, the, the three points. And again, yeah, and uh, that's with the also like uh, that's a tesseract as well. The eight pointed star can be called that. Oh, right. The tesseract, yeah. Which yeah. is the hypercube, I, the Saturnian cube. Which and, this looks ex- also exactly like what a torsion drive is supposed to look like. When, when, uh, uh, what's his face? What's the guy's name that was supposed to work in Area 51? Anyway, oh, uh, Lazar. Lazar, yeah. When he drew out the, the torsion drive, it was, it was one of those. Here's that another one of the movie posters that, I mean, it's supposed to be multiverse stranges, but I get the strong Vishnu Brahma sense off of that. I mean, oh, super... Yeah. Super Hindu. Yeah. And they, they revisit that a lot in the later on with the uh, many armed, um, the, the many armed doctor where he has the, all the arms. Cause that's the, the I fighting become, of the, I am become death. Yes. Which is a quote from Vishnu. Right. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dylan here says, I was hoping when you mentioned Maya, Mary, Mira, and Mira, you'd mention Maya illusion in Sanskrit. Yeah, dude. I totally just wasn't going off my notes. And yeah, Maya is illusion, which is the entire Gnostic ideology is that the world is an illusion, that this is a copy world, a mirror created by the Ma, the mother. So very good point. Thanks, dude. Uh, glad that you're tuning in. And what else? Where where are we? We should chug along here. I'm hoping to get like maybe to a halfway point of the film. <laughs> so there's a part part here where Strange is confronting her after she's broken through the defenses of Carmitage, and he, well, she says, "I'm not a monster. I'm a mother." Well, that's because she's the mother of monsters. And I realized as well that with that WM switch, mother, weather, it's kind of like weather. And she attacks as a storm cloud. You know, she's, she's an unnatural disaster. Bad star. Wow. Star, God wow. star. Nice is also a God name. And then monster, wow. mo- mother and monster. If you do the WM switch, monster is one star. The one star. The, Damn. the pole star, palace star, aster star, palace star, palister, you know, pole star, <laughs> the one star. I don't know. I feel like that's very possible. I mean, I was going into that on the Wednesday night show that uh, palace and Archie referring to head and wisdom, pole star, the mother, father, that it's both <laughs> lone star. Yeah, it's a good one too. We have the Lone Star from the uh, the Eve character, Little Eve, America. Now, this part where he confronts her though about her plan, he realizes that her 
she, you know, what about the other yous? If you're going to go to an alternate reality where you have children, so you can be with your children, what happens to the you in that universe? And uh, basically, she's like, "Yeah, I'm going to kill the, I'm going to kill my other self. <laughs> she's going to kill herself." Um, so crazy. So that's like the other Wanda's are basically like the the Eve metaphor too, in the sense of the the archonic force is trying to kill or destroy the good Eve, the, the real mother. And interestingly, I could, I would need to scan around a little bit to find a direct screen capture. But when he attacks her uh, to defend, you know, her, the other Wanda's, the good Eve's, I think I've got it right here. He casts a spell to basically attack her with serpents. So that's like in the garden where the beast in the Gnostic creation story, not the garden or not the Genesis, the beast is the, the serpent is called the beast and it is the one that actually helps Eve. It's the good guy in their story. So, you know, (laughs) Ophis is serpent wisdom. It's the Sophia, the good Sophia, if you will. So he attacks her with the serpents. I think that that's like, could we have more Pythagoras? imagery that he's Pythagoras or a Pythian Apollo. I don't think so. And then the the last thing to say about that, well, someone else pop in. Well, yeah. We'll get back to it. Uh, one thing I noticed is that when he does the serpent magic on her, the, the uh, color that is used uh, to in uh, animate the serpents is her color. It's, it's in her, uh, her spectrum, so to say. So it's like he's using, he's fighting fire with fire or, you know, using her, her own element against her. I had something really good and it fell out of my brain. So I need to <laughs> let it go. So it'll come back. Uh, that's a great quote, JB, that you brought up too. Both of them, both of them are, have deaths in this, uh, Wanda and the doctor. Yeah, they're both doing the grand calculus of the multiverse to try to achieve what they think is right or what they want. Right. Which is why they're both accusing each other of being hypocritical. Oh, I remember what it was. This is from Dylan's book, actually. I learned this from Dylan's book. So she wants to kill herself. (laughs) That's crazy. She wants to kill her other self. She wants to kill herself. Well, uh, Dylan points out in the fourth spirit world book that the early Christians, the Greeks called them biothanatoi, which means self murderers. And actually, yeah, (laughs) this is because the early monks who were just a total pestilence on the land, you know, they paid no taxes. They made everyone give them their 10% or more. They were dirty. They didn't wear shoes or clothes. Oftentimes they were actually naked. Uh, Not that you have to wear shoes, but the no shoes thing comes up later in terms of symbolism. So they're like just wretched, nasty, um, brutish, uneducated. And they, you know, just complete dogmatists. And they pretty much were, in terms of them being monks, they were 
probably closer to this whole pop culture Gnosticism idea than to what we consider Christian, even though they were, you know, the early Christian monks. Why I say that is because like monks in other religions, like Buddhism, um, their whole thing is sitting in their cell and cutting themselves off from the world because the world is the evil thing or the world is the Maya, the illusion that they need to escape or the world is the devil's place. Same thing as believing that the world is the demiurge's creation. And they would often, the reason they were called biothanatoi is because they would often end their career as a monk by committing suicide. They would tear open their own uh, abdomens, entrails falling out and jump off of cliffs or set themselves on fire. That's so crazy. That self, is so crazy. They're self-murderers. And that's what Wanda is. She's Wanda is Manda, Gnostic. Wow. Self-murderer. That's a hell of a gift, man. Thank you for sharing that. That is beautiful. No, it's disgusting. Biothanatoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a lot of mileage, mileage out of that. <laughs> we'll That's return quite, to that later, too. Um, that, quite the gym. That Thanatos idea yep. is important. So um, I think we can jump forward to the next universe jump. What do you say? Yep. The scene where they jump universes is pretty pretty psychedelic and wacky. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the part where he takes the shot in the back. He like dives into Andromeda America. Oh, right. They go into the star and just as he's diving in, he gets hit in the back. Nice. Yep. And so his cape is uh, damaged. Oh, yeah. His cape takes the hit. As they escape, the cape is always encoded actually to be technical it's a cowl but even though it's a cowl and not a cape it is still constantly encoding the word escape like earlier in the opening scene it gets trapped under a uh, on a escape ladder it picks up america and swoops her away and then the monster throws a motorcycle and pins the cape to an escape ladder on a balcony so while the cape yeah, he, is helping her escape, it gets trapped on an escape ladder and can't es- itself escape. Right. So it's he, constantly being self-referential in the movie. On all the escape scenes, the cape is getting uh, pinned or highlighted or pointed out. He, well, how's this for something, Gabriel? The, he corrects the uh, the pizza, ball, pizza papa by say, saying it's a cloak. It's not a cape. It's a cloak because he he touches it. He's like, oh, that feels authentic. He's like, it's a cloak, not a cape. So think about S cape. E S S that's uh hey resh. That's Hebrew word for fire. And the cape is hit with a fire bolt while he's trying to S cape. (laughs) So if the cape I think that you should go into what you were sending me a voice message about earlier today about the superheroes and their capes and escapism. And maybe like if you could attach that to the symbolism of the placenta as well, because the placenta is, you know, hit with the S the fire in the sense that when it's stolen from the family at the hospital, they send it off to like some processing facility where it's probably alchemically incinerated to be reduced to some other usable material, right? Yep. The S, the S cape. Yeah. 
So this, uh, man, it's so in, it's so intense. Okay. This is uh, scapegoat programming and this is designed to make you want to be the scapegoat. Okay. What I'm about to say. So let's start with Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral is the, the stage, the theater that they will inspire you to believe that if you just sacrifice, if you just sacrifice enough, then maybe you'll be the one who gets sent up to get fucking killed on the altar. Cape. Uh, to escape, to escape from Cape Canaveral, the construct or the dome or the firmament, because you can go to space. Which That's right. Which you can't go to and no one's been to. That's right. So if you sacrifice yourself enough, then maybe you'll be the one who can fly. Maybe enough sacrifice will give you the ability to fly. And then you find out, guess what? You're just a fucking goat getting thrown over the cliff. <laughs> but that's, uh, uh, so what I was uh, putting in the messages earlier today is the fact that all of this escapism is encoded with these caped crusaders. And there it is, crusaders. They're telling you that this is the Knights Templar. It's the Knights Templar giving you the scapegoat mind programming. Dude, scape is an anagram for space. How did we miss that, Jenny? That's oh my fire. God, I can't see that on my little phone. Jenny, you genius. Scape space. Wow. Space That's and so scape. Obvious. Why? Why haven't we not seen that? Jenny B, you badass. <laughs> Yeah, y'all. Okay, so what is now? Here's another thing. What is a blank page? A blank page is a scape. It's a landscape. It's a space. It's a literally space. when it's when it's in one direction. It's called landscape. It's infinite potential. It's tabula rasa. And what does uh, Perseus fly on? He flies on Pegasus, which is the page. It's the piece of paper. It's the two-dimensional paperwork. So all of these things are steering Literally, us. The constellation is like a sheet of paper. The constellation. Lost. It's the Garden of Eden. Yep. It's the ship. It's the vessel. It's the Pegasus. It's the page. It's the tabula rasa. It's so profound. It's the infinite. It's the infinite page. The infinite page says, means sustained. it's undefined because it's blank. There's nothing yeah. written on it. Yeah, man. So, okay. This one, well, no, I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, the cape is, uh, it's encoding the placenta. You know, it's the red uh, uh, garment that you were blessed with, that you, your full estate, and it has escaped. It escapes your mind. It escapes logic. What the implications of its absence is on, uh, on culture on the whole. So uh, there's a lot to, there's a lot there, but uh, how was that chance? Because there's more. <laughs> If you've got more, I mean, go for it. And then this is a weave right here. Benjamin, leave the dome. The dome is where we're damned. You know, the dam, it's a barrier between us and the heavens. Right. The dame is the mother. Yes. The the allies are mad at the dame because they can't leave the dome. Right. Right. And they think they're damned. And that's another thing about, um, so Sophia is sometimes described as ever faithful, um, that she will never leave. And that is true. That once an idea gets into your that's head. That's what pistis means is faith. Right. It, it never goes away. When I say something to you, if I get, like, I've had some thoughts, <laughs> but I'm like, I shouldn't say that. 
I shouldn't say that because once I say it, I can never unsay it. It's going to, it's going on recording. We're live and there's a lot of people who don't want to think of the things that I'm thinking of. So I'm sparing a lot of the audience from like some thoughts that can never go away. Uh, there are some thoughts you just can't take away. And that's what Sophia is about. Once it's in there, it doesn't, you can't undo it. You can only, here's the thing. You can only uh, alter it, rearrange it, or you can put a cowl over it. You can, obfus you can obfuscate it or cover it up in certain ways, but you cannot erase it. It's in there. You just, all you can do is rearrange it and work with it, transmute it, own it and uh, make it yours or else somebody else will. This is why we pay you nothing. I mean, the big bucks. <laughs> this is what I come here for. You should be paid for this. this. <laughs> you need to find a way to be paid for what you do. You have a great brain. Uh, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk off off uh, off air. <laughs> Seriously, Maybe though. Later. Yeah, I, I feel like I owe you money. Oh, it's all good. I think I'm going to get a Patreon so people can maybe hook me up. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, you you should. You really should. Yeah, <laughs> just get it. I mean, that's important. Um, yeah. Total side weave, but uh, important that just creating the space <laughs> for it, a yeah. vessel or container for that, then you can attract something to it. But if there's no space for it, then it can't happen. So, right. You Here's know. your dream. This conversation is your dream from last night. <laughs> ah. uh, okay, we need to move on. So they, <laughs> this is fun. They find themselves in the universe controlled by the Illuminati. And yes. the Illuminati is the highest rank of the Orphic and Eleusinian mysteries from which the Christian church derives. And esoteric Christianity is is based on that the Vatican stole and gave people just the catch caught them in the catatumen rank and never let them go up to the next rank, the faithful misty Illumini, Illuminati ranks. So anyway, he gets here and the first thing that happens is he pukes. So he's never jumped into a new universe before. And apparently that makes you puke. What do you think about that symbolically? Is that just sort of like a, a little just for fun gag that he pukes? Or do you think that there's something in that? Uh, I'm still trying to unpack this. I've got something going with like something about the top is always disturbing to Stephen. Um, because he has when he wakes up from his dream, he's got his laptop and he's disturbed. And right now he's on a rooftop. And, and the last so time he was on a rooftop, he saw his own corpse. And yep, he saw, yep. So there's something about the top that uh, Stephen can't handle. He can't take the top. Mm. And I'm not, oh. I'm not fully this done is, with that. I, I, think he, I think this is the facing of his trauma. Uh, oh, from this high perspective? Yeah, well, oh, because he fell off a cliff. Yeah, right. Remember, like earlier, he, they, they talk about him throwing, throwing him off a cliff or, or dropping him from a height. Um, right in the right in the beginning, they mention it, and I I'll have to go back and look at it. And I didn't make a note of it, but I remember seeing they were talking about it, and I'm like, tower card. Um, nice. But um, 
this will come back around at the at the end because this is all about in in my notes is and and I don't think I would have seen it had you not pointed it out, Gabe. Is that his union? Um, his union symbol that he is. I mean, he, he this whole thing is his journey of addressing his trauma. Even later on, Christine tells him, "She's like, you have to face your fears, Stephen." And that's when he finally like, oh, right. Cause like he's, he's vomiting and he's losing because he's seeing these things. Like he can't figure it out. He's trying to f- save her and he's keep having, keeps having to jump and run, but he doesn't actually get it until he faces his own fear. Um, and his fear was of letting her, letting her supporting her to do it, which is right. the 11th hexagram. Yen supported by Yang. So at the end, when he faces his fear, he allows America to fight the witch instead of trying to protect her from it. Let's her fight the the dragon fight for herself. <laughs> and that is the integration of his Yin side because it allows, you know, he's being receptive. He's having trust. He's having peace. He's having faith. Right. And that's his wisdom that he gains in the film. And then the other thing, like uh, another time where he's at the top <laughs> and there's trauma is the very opening scene. They're at the top of the multiverse and he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have faith that she can do it. So he tries to control her and it gets him killed because he's killing his own inner, you know, yin, his own inner feminine. So it's self-murder. He's biothanatoy <laughs> at that point. Um, one thing I want to point out is when we get to this, this universe, they've, they've shown a whole bunch of different universes, one made of paint, one is animated, all this other, all these other things. But when you get here, um, the whole world is colorful, but the people are not everybody, everybody in this universe, except for the Illuminati are all dressed in gray tones. They're all black and black and white. And even most of the Illuminati too. Mm-hmm. It's very dark. That's a great point, Gordy. And there's, the people. there's flowers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And they all have faith in their government. They'll have faith in the illuminated ones at the top. They have pistis. There are pistols everywhere, flowers. Also, uh, the uh, rainbows in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is that like, you know, uh, obviously weather manipulation. Uh, you know, a completely fabricated uh, simulacrum kind of environment. But um, it's not just weather manipulation. It's an indication that this is where the rainbows thrive. Yeah, it's the LGBT rainbows. The red is on top. You got it. This is LGBT world. And everybody dresses like a Jew and carries a Freudian umbrella. And she excels in this realm. She's incredibly familiar and just she's teaching him how shit is done in this world. And we and she's got that LGBT whatever button on her. uh, Oh, and by the way, the LGB plus that's a Disney plus that's Netflix plus uh, Amazon plus Interverse plus Interverse plus. It means that there's uh, subtext. There's more script somewhere else. You have to go and read the full terms of the agreement. When it comes to Disney, you look at that plus and you find out. 
oh, it means that they got Mambla included in the LGBT list and furries and all of these things that you did not know you were getting involved in. Oh, uh, yeah. And she speaks Spanish. This strange doesn't speak Spanish. I heard that the, I think it was like a prime minister or somebody big in Spain coming out in defense of a child's right to choose who they want to love as long as it's consensual, no matter how old they are. Right. It's happening. They're, yep. It's one step at a time, but they're walking pretty quickly. That's right. It's a parallel reality. And they're bringing it in. It's about to have an incursion into our reality. And it doesn't always go well. Yeah. And I have throughout my notes, the whole time there in this universe, all the examples of red means go or inversion, because that's right. sort of like, that's sort of their clue. They give you that this is inversion world yep. ruled by the Illuminati are trying to create inversion world <laughs> by telling you red means go in this world. Cause he walks, he tries to walk out into the street whenever the uh, street light turns red, thinking the cars will stop and actually they go. So oh. Yeah, it's inversion world. I just realized that the version of Professor X that they use in this isn't the isn't the Professor X from the um, the X Men the previous X Men movies, even though it's being played by uh, what's his nuts, uh, Captain Picard, Patrick Stewart, um, because that he he plays the same character, but. If you look at his chair and the music that he comes in on, it's the one from the comics or not the comics, the nineties cartoon, nineties cartoon. Yeah. He's a cartoon. It's all illusion world. And that Reed Richards would be a controlling figure. Cause that was one of Reed Richard, Reed Richards for, if we haven't gotten there yet, he's uh Mr. Fantastic. He's supposedly, the uh, biggest genius in the world. And he's, I think you mentioned it earlier, Gabe, that he invented all these wonderful technologies and things. That's an, that's a hundred percent. I mean, he, he is the genius that creates all these great technologies, but he's never been that controlling figure who, who would take over. He was always the one giving power away. It, that's totally antithesis of his character. So there is a version of him where he's like that in uh, the ultimate comics universe Mm. in the ultimate universe. Reed Richards becomes Dr. Doom. He has a vision of how the world will end climate change, climate change. (laughs) And so he basically goes full supervillain and justifies all his behavior to take control of everybody by the fact that he's, saving their universe from an imminent destruction that only he knows about. And you want to know what's interesting in the event that causes him to find out about the imminent destruction, his face gets scarred and he essentially joins the black eye club permanently. And then he wears a mask over the top half of his face. Thus he's the new Dr. Doom because in the ultimate universe, the original Dr. Doom gets killed. Huh? Now it's pretty sweet. In the comics, I, like he makes a really good Doctor Doom. <laughs> now those, I those are years that I completely missed. But wasn't Franklin his son? He mentions it in the movie that he was a father too. 
you know, that he understands. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has a father too. He has a boy and a girl, Franklin and, they, and Valera. They go, right. guys, they're, his kids go on to, uh, to uh, become the parents of the, the like Time Lord from the Time Lord Association the, or the TSA or whatever they call themselves, TVA, Time Variant Association. The god, the bufu of that organization is the grandson, great, great, super, super great grandson of Reed Richards. Mm. Yeah. Isn't Franklin uh, the, the uh, kind of antichrist of the mutants, though? Yeah, be, he's, sort of, because they thought he was a mutant, but he wasn't. Uh, he has godlike abilities. Right. Um, he saves the multiverse from the incursion crisis, which is referred to in this. Uh, he has a simu- Apparently, he had a simulated X-Gene. So his powers allow him to warp reality. So because he believed he was a mutant, he became an, a mutant. He became, an, he became one, but he wasn't really a mutant. Hmm. So <laughs> the Illum- this is perfect because like the, symbolically the children of the Illuminati, they have reality warping powers. They think they can, they think they are what they are not. You know, their power is literally warping their own reality. That sounds about right. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't think he really has any, I don't think we need to, focus on Franklin Richards much more though. Um, interesting though, in the comics, he's basically there's part, there's points where he literally gains the ability and the access to shape and create universes. So he's very much like a Yaldabaoth type sort as well. But like as, as a child though. Now I want to point out, this is one of the most on the nose quotes from the whole film appropriate that is happening while we have 33 viewers at three hours, 33 minutes. And I'm going to say it at 33 seconds. (laughs) America says, I never dream. She's woke as fuck. Boom. America is woke as fuck. (laughs) Yep. And then just to like, you know, let you know what, what they're referring to. Very next thing that happens is they show a scene down on the street. And you have a white guy in wearing white and a black guy wearing black. And here is a sign that says, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. And there's a right arrow and a left arrow. The cutards believe that they're super awake to the world and that their God emperor will save them. The lefties are super woke and they're going to save the world and save the environment. Just stay in your lane. America, you're woke as fuck. While subtly in the background, the real two lanes that exist are the goy and the uh, <laughs> the uncut people. <laughs> As you can see here, the uh, circumcised phallus and the uncircumcised phallus. Like in, yeah. in, in tactivism. <laughs> so much in just one image there. It's ridiculous. Stay in your lane. Whiteys and blacks. That's right. If you don't homogenize your fellow man, then you must be racist. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't get any stupider than that. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't get any stupider than that. Nope. Not really. Yep. Upside down world for sure. What else have I got to say? I'm just going to look at my notes. Somebody else talk. 
yeah, that reality is very informative. There's actually a lot to learn uh, Inversion about the world, way things are there. We should call it. Okay, well, uh, that's a good call. Yeah, we could uh, draw it here and then that. Uh, oh, okay. No, no, I on. mean, we, sh- we should call this world inversion world, not call it on the show. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I got a great point. And maybe this is a good line to draw if we decide to. Um, at the moment that they introduce Reed Richards and he starts to tell Doc, uh, Stephen Strange that his presence here is dangerous. And by the way, Reed Reed Richards' voice is like incredibly compelling and soothing. There's something, if anybody goes and watches the movie, just pay attention to the move, the moment that Reed Richards starts to speak. It, it's almost like he's using a, what do they call that? Neuro linguistic programming. NLP. Yeah. He's probably really good at it because he can really bend his fingers in extra ways. And uh, also it's Jim from The Office. So everybody has nostalgia programming of Jim being like their most relatable character. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that moment, when he starts to explain why Strange is, uh, uh, is dangerous, um, he, the moment that he goes over that line where he says that an incursion will incur, and then Steve says back, incursion? Question mark? That is the exact halfway point of the film. That is one hour and four minutes into the film, leaving one hour and four minutes left in the film. 14 and 14. Very sacred numerology. Uh, maybe we can yeah, that's expand on that. half of the moon. You got it. Yeah, that's you, the moon cycle. That's the new moon. Yep. I put you in the new moon in between. So uh, there's a lot to that. There's a whole lot to that, but I just thought I would point out that they are doing high magics uh, in the time codes, time stamps, in correspondence with the lines in the message of the movie. Now they, <clears throat> he's pretty dark in this one. Uh, Reed is okay with killing, um, killing Doctor Strange as a sacrifice to save the other universe. Uh, apparently, one of the the idea in of this Strange in this universe why he had to be sacrificed is he, he sacrificed a whole was willing to sacrifice a whole world, uh, another universe for their own to be saved. And then they end up killing um, Dr. Strange himself as a, as a full on execution and they show it, but Reed is okay with that. Like that's, that's an inversion of every single one of those characters on that, on that panel. Like that was, that's not in the character of professor X or, or a uh, captain Marvel. Besides, you know what? I like my black captain Marvel with a fro and a nice tight white outfit. Seventies man. Mm, missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. the, the black captain Marvel being an inversion of, the uh you know it's inversion world the black captain marvel is so manly that i actually thought it was a dude until they spoke i'm assuming it's a they uh, pronoun wise probably probably a they yeah so you guys want uh you want me to break down my theory on the panel are we are, are we there yet are we at the panel yet no, he, they haven't been captured yet. We're, okay. We really ought to talk about memory lane. 
Yes. All right. Yes. Can Thank you. Pizza Papa, since we already talked about Pizza Papa. Yes. Good job keeping us on track. <laughs> There's probably tons of stuff that we could discuss just in the mise en scene of, you know, inversion world as they're walking down the street. The, you know, this is the uh, eco friendly Illuminati future. Right? Yeah. Where where red means go and green Whoa, means stop. Guys, look at the street sign. Oh, I noticed that. It looks like Braille or something. That must be their language. I don't understand what that is trying to tell us. Uh, it, yeah, uh, I think it has to do with uh, augmented reality. Oh, um, yep. Okay. Yep. Those are like QR codes. Well, they're QR codes for augmented reality. Nice call. Okay, good call. And maybe uh, maybe I'm going to pay more attention to the crowd and see if they're all wearing glasses too. That would be interesting because that's more. I guess I mean shit. They probably got they're, contacts. They're not, but it's yeah, it's probably contacts or something. Yeah, Reed Richards, man, smart motherfucker. <laughs> probably implants, actually. <laughs> so yeah, all of the innovations of this reality they kind of imply are Reed Richards' uh, brainchilds. And so uh, as they're walking, like he kind of talks to her about her. Oh, no, no, no. We haven't got there yet. But they come up on the the memory bank. And I didn't catch that the first time I watched it, that it's called the Memory Lane Bank. And that's an acronym. That's an MLB. That's a BLM. And what else has banks is the river, which carries water and mem is water. Mem is water. Bank. Your mem in the bank. And so when he activates it, so just keep in mind that we're talking about BLM, okay? He activates it, and his, uh, all of a sudden, his personal trauma becomes, oh, nice, Jen, nice. Uh, so when he puts his foot, his feet in that circle, which is gate recognition, uh, it's in prison. It's the Stamp Act. That's your uh, tender foot. When he puts his tender feet in the circle, all of a sudden his trauma is broadcasted publicly. His most painful, uh, sacred personal memories are out in a public walkway for everybody to witness. So this is like the next level of social media. Yes. Where you yep. like whine about whatever to the yep. entire world. Yep. Broadcast, broadcast your trauma because that's your identity. Totally. And, uh, and so then in, in his vision, he's having a dinner with, uh, his old sweetheart and, oh, you caught it. Nice chance. How could I miss it? He makes a joke about selling a kidney from somebody he operated on to pay for his fancy dinner. He's at Bureau of Land Management, the Bank of Land Management. And he's talking about organ harvesting instead of taking a loan. Oh, yeah, because Memory Lane Bank is BLM. I see. He's talking about organ harvesting. That's land management. Organ harvesting is land management. Uh, And then she jumps on and it goes into her story. But I was absolutely blown away when I realized that BLM is encoded in this Memory Lane Bank. Uh, but that's a, that's all I got on the strange part. You guys got something? Well, just other that she gives him the watch and the watch is, uh, 
an important oh. object throughout the rest of the first film and this film, you know, that, um, <laughs> you know, well, we already said this, but like part of inversion world is that she believes food is free there. Turns out it's not, but she says food is free everywhere else. <laughs> Every like most universes free. It's weird. You guys have to pay for it because she's woke as fuck America. She's been to 72 universes. She, she tells him she's been to 72. Uh, Pentagram number. It's a, yeah, that's exactly right. That's the angle of the five pointed star, the angles in it. So there's that. And then that encodes a lot of other priestly belief systems, including procession as in, you know, maybe the idea encoded here is that at the 72nd year, where we move shift one degree in procession because of that degree shift. We're in a new universe at that point because the, the clock, the watch, which is like the next thing we see here is shifted. <laughs> you know, the second hand is the second hand is moved because they call those degrees seconds, right? Those yeah. one degrees of the uh, arc of the ecliptic. Uh, the, watch. Yeah. Yep. the watch becomes the key. Later on, the watch is his tangible symbol for the trauma. It's his heartbreak when, cause it's, it's his love. And when she, when you see it later, it's, it's broken. It's because it's, it's his accident. It's how it, how it happened. But he ends oh. up using, using that watch as the key to the lock to open it, open the, the gate to the book of Vishanti, the book of right. Vishnu. So his trauma, because his integrated trauma, or his intention to integrate his trauma, opens the gate. Right, exactly, and that's. I mean, we'll we'll have to save something for for later. But this is this is what happens. Why he gets the third eye. Integration. I dig it. I dig it. You know, this is something that I forgot to bring up when we were talking about the cephalopod part of Wanda but I'm just going to throw this out there kind of out of order. Her using the dark hold command over the runes using the alphabet to attack, <laughs> you know, uh, the paper, paper C her fingertips are blackened. Oh, which right. is like the ink <laughs> of the cephalopod and the totally. ink of, of the scribe as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that kind of creeped me out. Let's see. 72 dodeca Timoria above yep. the horizon at all times. 72 disciples of Jesus. 72 conspirators of Osiris. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. Yep. 72 inches under the ground. 72 virgins if you blow yourself up for Allah. That's what that's, they told us in the mass media about Islam. I don't know. That's, if that's a whole true. hell of a lot. <laughs> It's a lot of, yeah, I believe that in Arabic, 72 is kind of like a colloquialism for a shitload. A whole hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, I uh, somebody told me about um, hanging upside down for nine days on Yggdrasil will yield a 72. I think you end up dropping a zero somewhere, but Yggdrasil for nine days gives you a seven, 702, 720, something like that. That'd be interesting considering that the, uh, the Mercury character encodes 27 in so many gematrias and that if you flip 
you know, if you make the 27 character, the hanged man, you flip him upside down, he becomes 72. Uh, so about the watch representing his trauma Gordy and the integration aspect that is my read on it too I think it's pretty clear especially because he says uh, when they're watching the memory of the watch we don't have time for this (laughs) and so part of the part of the uh, the male inability to integrate the yin feels like I don't have time if the yin if the yang is trying to control the yin it's like I don't have time for this. I need to do, I need to do, 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 act, act, act. There's no time. And so like the integrated male knows how to relax, knows how to let things come to them, knows how to be more magnetic and not always just electric, so to speak. So that's part of it too, is like, you know, the time crunch that they're under throughout the whole film. They're always running from something or running towards something pretty much. Usually always running away from Wanda. Anyway, um, America in the next scene, we see that she is, she's named America. We've never really talked about where America comes from in the comics. Gordy, do you have much on that? Uh, I, Not at all. I, she's a young Avengers character. Uh, I can't remember what comic she originated from, but we'll just say that she's like an extremely, uh, an extremely obscure and fairly recent Marvel character so that her choice as the vehicle for all this multiverse hopping to come through is very, you know, is it's very deliberate to give us America saying things like, I never dream. <laughs> the American dream is, is dead. You know, there's so much in some of her one liners are just incredibly on the nose. <laughs> That's what this film should have been called. Doctor Strange, a little on the nose. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. And anyway, her name's America. She wears the stars and stripes, yet she's from uh Space Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got a spit take. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and true. True. She's the only one that can escape all the borders. She's a border she's hopping Mexican. Mexican. She's a border hopper. hopper. Oh my God, she's going to get put in a cage in a little bit. <laughs> she gets put oh, in a cage. Is. Yeah, she gets put in a cage. Oh, the kids in cages, man. The kids, kids in cages. cages. Get used to it, I guess. Mm. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Yeah, um, Space Dylan, Mexico. The, <laughs> Dylan asked if they're trying to emphasize the Hebrew letter mem. Hmm. Oh. Three. Here's three moms or two moms. <laughs> mem and mom sound a lot alike. I guess the memory lane place does emphasize the, the word M the way that the shot was. Oh, shit. It's a. Uh, well, it makes me think of the prophecy in Daniel 5 5. Uh, many, many Tekal Parshet is, uh, comes to mind. And but, what's the prophecy in Daniel 5.5? 5, 5? Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, the king's Nebuchadnezzar, he sees a disembodied hand writing a message oh, on the wall. Writing on the wall. Gotcha. And the message is written in Daniel 5.5, 5, and it's translated by Daniel in Daniel 25. 
where you multiply five times five, you get 25. And that's where the solution comes into play. Uh, yeah, that's a real interesting one, but that comes to mind. When he translates the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Oh, mm-hmm. well, in Daniel, he translates the dream also, yes. Uh, but one of the other things he does is he translates a uh, a message that was written by the disembodied hand of God that all of the other wizards couldn't figure out. But Daniel, he's uh, he was raised by them eunuchs. He knows the, he knows the code. <laughs> <laughs> he was a hostage to the eunuchs. So uh, here's the point where we're seeing the trauma on public display of America yes. where a B a B stings her the a to the B, the alphabet. I say this because she being the Eve of the Gnostic creation myth sends herself into the tree of knowledge. She sends herself into the multiverse, the tree of knowledge being the leaves are letters. The tree of knowledge is language metaphorically so when she gains the knowledge of a to b the alphabet a b sends her into the tree <laughs> and she has a fall she falls you know oh uh, hell yeah i think that definitely it fits symbolically to me yeah um you know hmm. it it also so that's a that's a thistle flower i think i could be wrong I think that's a thistle flower. It's the national flower of Scotland. And so there's an interesting Scottish rite going on. Scota. Oh, they have a lot to do with bees. Yep. Yep. And the uh, Maccabees is probably in play here as well. Uh, and nettles are generally kind of thistly and barbed uh, inherently. So the fact that she picked it, uh, I don't know, just makes me think that uh, she's afraid of what hasn't even happened yet and oblivious to the, her own tolerance for pain. You know, it's like she's afraid of the, imagina- the imaginative pain while she's holding a thistle that should be poking her hand uh, already. So it's not the pain that is, it's the pain that she imagines happening that flips her out. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Is that like a metaphor for abortion? Maybe, maybe. Is it a maybe? <laughs> maybe a metaphor for that. <laughs> the baby, maybe, or it may not be. Maybe, baby, I have you. So <laughs> they find out that there's a strange in their universe from Pizza Papa, and here's some on the nose for you: the statue of. <laughs> oh yeah there you go the B yep. is Apis in Latin Apis is the bull, sun and Taurus all symbols of the Lord who rules Taurus who exalts in it Venus and also this film came out in Taurus and it's all about the mother Hell so much yeah. Taurus symbolism man how Hell- did I miss that one the B is at Apis in Latin I knew that from reading your book <laughs> thanks Dylan Hell yeah. that is <laughs> yeah. sweet this is what I mean there's just so much that we think it's a maybe. We think we can get it all, but he just told us it is. It's not a maybe. It is. It's literally a maybe. Yeah, it the, is a the maybe. A, the apis is the maybe. <laughs> Definitely maybe. 
That definitely, is definitely a maybe. Definitely a maybe. Thanks, Dylan. That's a good one. That's yeah, good. Thanks, dude. Glad that you're here. Glad that everyone's here yeah. in the chat. I mean, scape and space. Space. Boom. That was a total headshot. I'll never forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. So anyway, because this is Vishnu slash Christ slash Osiris slash all the other black gods, Dr. Strange representing the savior, um, who is the son. Well, he's a black statue. May is named after Maya. Maya. Yes, indeed. Indeed, the, the illusion. She falls into Maya. She falls into the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, you know, multiverse even indicates language, that phrase, multiple Mm. languages. As soon as you have multiple languages, you have multiple competing versions of reality. When the uh, fiction is that they're different and in truth, they came from the one same source. And I think that that's part of what is being encoded here too. Whether maybe not encoded, encoded is a strong word, but like revealed to us. Yes. Um, uh, polysemal words, polysemal meaning, uh, inseminating multiple potentialities, uh, polysemal words, uh, oftentimes mean two opposite things. Like I'm going to dust this table. That means I'm going to make the dust not there. So (laughs) the word dust as a verb is polysemal and polysemal sure does make me think of policeman. The policeman is going to tell you a good cop, bad cop all the way to get whatever he needs or wants. And so uh, in the context of multiverse and multiple realities, it's very, very valuable to know your polysemal words uh, so that when they come up in a conversation, you can uh, differentiate between did they mean it this way or did they mean it that way? Uh, English is so, uh, uh, what do they call it? Equivocal, equivocal. It uh, s- says um, many things uh, at the same time, saying two things at once, equivocal, equivocal, equivocal. Good. Yeah. So this is Christian of the Black God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you have. You see, you know, in case we weren't sure that the black God is the sun, then the sun Mm. comes out and obscures it with the light. So just, you know, it's kind of a on the nose. So then go ahead. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to bust out the pray to. Oh, that's a good spot for it. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I forgot about that. What language is this coming from? Cause I want to find, I'm going to find the receipt on this. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's Portuguese. And in, in Portuguese, uh, in, in uh, the uh, Capoeira, we sing a song uh, venerating the black beetle. And the black beetle's name is Besouro Preto. And Besouro Preto can disappear and escape from the cops uh, at any given second. He's a shapeshifter. And so you'll hear about uh, Terra Preta. Terra Preta is the blackened earth. And uh, it's kind of uh, pretty mind-splitting where they're finding terra preta and what it might be actually made out of. So preta means black or blackened. And so when somebody tells you to pray to your God, 
They're telling you to blacken your God. Uh, makes me think of a burnt offering. And the fact that your prayer is a black offering because it's internal. You're going into your mind to send up this uh, communion. Uh, and so, to a black God, you're blackening a black God. You blacken the God. So if you want to, so if you want to venerate Stephen Strange for his service to this reality, you would come to this statue to pray to Doctor Strange. It's at the black, the blackened Doctor Strange. It's where you bring your offerings and give thanks. So yeah, and it's perfect because the Illuminati murdered this universe's Doctor Strange. And then deified him, made him the world hero, the world savior, right? And uh-huh. then made a black statue out of him. <laughs> totally. It's exactly what the uh, Illuminati did in the real world. Maybe, maybe, bla- maybe black statues don't get toppled in this reality. Maybe black statues matter. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is that it's a black statue of a white guy. Inversion inversion world. So the other thing too, and I bet Dylan can give us more etymology on this. Um, I'm not going to take a moment to look this up, but he does in book four, a God's acre point out some inscription based evidence, like physical real world, archeological evidence that, uh, that points to Eros being Christ as well. Eros. So here, Dr. Stephen Strange, a.k.a. Eros, gave his life defeating Thanos, a.k.a. Thanatos. Eros and Thanatos, comedy tragedy. Wow. Nice. Nice. Dang, nice. And wait, what is he? We express eternal gratitude to Earth's mightiest hero. Who's the mightiest hero in uh, the Sky Clock? Who's the mighty one? The hunter? Hercules. The hunter is the mighty, the mighty hunter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Orion. There's multiple copies of him in the sky clock. Yeah, you know, totally. it's the same archetype, but it's, in terms of zodiacally, it would be Sag, Sagittarius, the sage. Okay. Who okay. this is strange is encoded. Strange the sage with mm-hmm. his wounded thigh. Pythagoras is encoded multiple times in this film. You know, yes, Orion too. Orion Osi- slash Osiris is also a black god. Uh, Hercules, the sun, he's a mighty hunter as well with a club. But yeah, there's multiple you know, versions of it. One one interesting thought, you know the uh, what's her name? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even America. the word hero is arrow. Yeah, is arrow. Yeah, nice because the Greeks don't aspirate the H. Yeah. So uh, uh, America, she has a button on, or a a little patch on her on her jacket that says uh, "Love is love," and that's so sweet, so cute. So redundant. Uh, what it's actually saying is Yov is love. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. Yes. Love. Yep. God is uh, love. So one thing that's interesting to me is uh, the fact that the Greeks had at least three different names for love. You know, there was Eros. There was, um, you know, it's describing the different types of love. They're very specific, and it's important. It's very important. Um, there was uh, eros was erotic love, and then there is um, agape. Agape, thank you, thank you, Gordy. Yep, agape is the other one. There we go. Yes, 
Aota. Yeah. Rho, so they do Omega, Omega Sigma. Yeah. And they have other names for other types of love. They're very specific. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just interesting that uh, there's so much truth in learning the culture of Greek uh, that it's almost seems to me that the modern day uh, agenda is to uh, pave over and forget about those truths because they're very rewarding to know. Yeah. And what's fun is how they even corrupted and got wrong more in better systems that they, they were driving their culture from. So like back to this idea of um, <laughs> Gnosticism as an allegory, you know, our culture is, so you have the Greeks who were a copy of another culture, but a, a poor copy. And then the Romans were a poor copy of the Greeks. And then America, the United States is a poor copy of the Romans. There's probably more copies on along the way, right? But copy of a copy of a copy, that is a definitely a thing. And next scene is you probably want to talk about Baron Mordo, I would bet. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think maybe trying to decide where I want to call it. Cause I think that we don't have to go to the halfway point of the film to have a good point to call it. Cause a lot of the action scenes of the film, we can move quickly through, but I do want to reconvene and do like, you know, another set on this because we have, you know, we're getting past midnight here and uh, yeah, yeah. we don't have the same strength of viewership. Not everyone can hang this long. So let's go through Baron Mordo and this scene where he gets drinks the tea um, a little on the nose right here. <laughs> strange in a crucifixion position his arm even lowers uh yeah, later are. in the uh even christ has one leg often bent at the knee in the crucifixion yeah but his other arm that's up actually lowers so his he's spread eagled as the shot continues but this is just a better shot of the 12 pointed solar disc the zodiac that his head is in the middle of they really can't help themselves so, Chance, I'm going to send you a little graphic here. I just sent you three of them. Uh, let's go with the most this most recent one, with the corresponding with Strange on the ground there. And you're right; it is a twelve pointed star there. He's laying on top of, but his body is covering up three of those stars. And if you look very closely, it's a it's an enneagram. Because he's subtracted, his cape is covering up. It's it's a uh, uh, cowling. It's a uh, uh, obfuscating, obscuring, cloaking, cloaking. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's cloaking three of those uh, those tips of the star. So the only ones left are are the nine, and so he is uh, laying out in the enneagram position. And there's a whole lot more going on with this. There's so much more going on. I just wanted to point it out. It's a, it's going to be pretty important, but more though is walking over his head up above leaving, walking away. And as he walks away, he says the words, I own, I'm only acting as you would. And if you know your enneagram, those top three prongs, eight, nine, and one, those are in the act trying those are the acting trying and so the fact that mordo is walking over those three trines with three steps saying i'm only acting as you would is indicating that the enneagram 
can be used to know your decision-making even better than you do. And I know a lot of people are into different personality matrix kind of things, and nobody wants another one to have to go and relearn and start over again. But I'm here to tell you the Enneagram is uh, time-tested and true. And I think it's much older than anybody ever uh, would admit. This is incredibly ancient technology. Uh, so I just thought I'd throw that out there, that the Enneagram is absolutely in play. It always has been. It always has been. It's so profound. So I'd just throw that in the mix. Yeah, maybe back, maybe it's been in play for as long as there's been a nine-month calendar before we got a 12. Bada-boom. Bada-boom. Putting, uh, putting together a nine-month calendar could... It would rearrange the fabric of reality. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a markation of the reset. <laughs> uh, so we want to say anything else about this scene where he gets roofied? Oh, <laughs> also Mordo roofies uh, the underage 16-year-old who believes love is love. You know, wow. child, as the Spaniard politician says, the child has the right to love who they want if they give consent. Wow. A kid got roofied in a Disney movie. That's a great point. Yeah. Literally, like, completely roofied by the magic tea. All right. What do you think, Gordy? You, you seem to have a lot of steam, Gabriel. If you want to, if you want to, keep... if you want to finish up on the Mordo thing, I just wanted to uh, circle back to the uh, keys of theosophy at maybe at the end because it kind of, uh, encapsulates your idea, Chance, I think, about the, the Gnostic. Nice. Beautiful, dude. Yeah, that'd be a dude. great place to finish. And uh, we're plenty of, we have plenty of stuff that we can get into and reconvene in a few days. Um, I just, after four hours, my I don't have as much steam yeah. <laughs> to pass my yeah. bedtime. And I want to bring a game to this because there's plenty more we could talk about. As Dylan says, I can't believe all this stuff is in a movie. <laughs> we can't either. Every single time we do this, it explodes and we're like, oh, we'll just spend like, you know, do one show. We can do a whole show on just Moon Knight. We can't. We did a whole show on just the first five minutes. Yeah. We can't stop this. <laughs> yeah. there's. It needs to be revealed, though. It needs to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So go through our Baron Carl Marx Mordo and <laughs> we'll have Gordy talk about the keys to theosophy and then we'll wrap up. And then when we come back, we'll start with the entry into the Illuminati's, the tower before the tower is struck with lightning. Right on. So yeah, uh, in this reality, we find out that uh, Mordo, Baron Mordo is named Carl. And it's not really clear if, I, I think what they're telling us is that Dr. Strange never knew his first name ever in any of the realities. And he had to come to opposite world to find out that his actual first name is fricking Carl. <laughs> uh, Carl. Carl Mordo, uh, which is just quite profound. Uh, and absolutely in the, the way it's presented in the film, it very much seems to indicate uh, a nod and a wink to Karl Marx. And so I just put this Karl Marx. I mean, they in, are in the communist utopia. We're in communist utopia. Now this and is what food still isn't free. You still got to pay pizza Papa for your pizza balls. <laughs> totally. That's right. So uh, what is kind of interesting here 
is that Mordo made Strange. Mordo sired Strange. He is his uh, his sponsor. He spawned. He sired Doctor Strange. Um, but Doctor Strange never knew his first name. He had that degree of intimacy that he let another man bring him up to his status in his stature, and Basically, he never he initiated knew the, him. Is what you're saying? He was initiated by Mordo, and he never knew his first name. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of profound, kind of interesting. Um, but if you flip to the next one, chance, yes, this one is was a real trippy realization for me. There is there are these uh, very rare uh, dyes that are harvested from the uh, the Merks M U R E X O M A R. E X no M U R E X Murex, which is like this uh, ocean king, the king of the sea, and the Murex seashells are incredibly labor intensive to extract the dye from this uh, this seashell. Incredibly labor intensive, uh, and that is the reason why the uh, the cloth that is dyed by this is super valuable. And it is the sacred uh, cloth that the high priests wear, the high priests of the ephod. And so it uh, generally uh, generates a shade of purple, uh, but I believe it's integrated into this blue. Can you zoom in there on the corner there, Chance? You'll see the costume of the ephod. He's wearing the blue. That's the, sh- that's the shade of Dr. Strange. That's the, the garments of the initiated. And so Dr. Strange is wearing the Murex blue garment of the high priest of the ephod. And then I put that little image in the top corner because you'll see how uh, prolific that particular color is in the elite circles. Uh, The entire Oval Office is colored in the high priests of the ephod shade of blue. And you'll even notice all of their ties are uniformly the same shade of blue. So I'm just pointing out that that's uh, also the, the feminization and communization. Yes. These are, this is the he of blue. And he who wears blue is of the priesthood of the ephod. So this is Hebrew, you know, Hebrew. the high what? priests, those who came from the ocean, the kings of the sea, the Phoenicians. She's the one wearing red and purple. She. Is the one wearing red. And notice the blood color is at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's blood red mm-hmm. at the bottom. What's that? Exit. Pomegranates and bells on a priest's garments. Yes. 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 You also, Gabriel, just for all your echidna, porcupine, fun stuff <clears throat> like this, oh. Murex does have that spiny, porcupine vibe yep. to it, too. Yeah, it's got some echidna feels to it, big time. So I want to I I want to uh, while you're here, Gabe, I just want to point out for other people that are listening that may have gotten confused before about the echidna, the echidna itself, the literal echidna, is an animal that is a Dave. It's called a spiny anteater. It is only found in New Zealand, and 
this is how it's related to both uh, mammals and reptiles. Um, the spiny anteater is a, the echidna is a monotrim, which is the same family as uh, platypus, right? So they have a, they have a beak. They're the, they're the weird ass thing that they're the only mammal that uh, lays eggs, but they also give a milk, but they don't have nipples. So there's not a breast. So it's the, it, they're the freakiest little thing, but they're adorable because they have a little snorkel. Well, tell, tell people about their cock. Oh yeah. What's they have weird cocks, right? What, what is the thing with the cock? The, they, they, the males, they excrete and give birth out of their cock hole. Yeah. It's, it's called a, a cochlear appendage. I think it's not even a dick. It's, it's some weird thing. Um, and they also like, I don't, I don't know, it, but at any rate, they are like a porcupine and they are, they're like a porcupine and a lizard and an anteater and a duck. And they're just this amalgamation of freak animals, but it's a real thing. Go look at it. Um, and it's related to porcupine too. Well, it, the shape is, is the, the shape echidna is the porcupine. Yeah. And they think that it's retired is those, the sea stars and um, crustaceans. Uh, oh, what's the, what's the thing uni is made of? Um, sea urchins. Sea urchins yeah. are just, you know, they look like a, uh, a ball of spines. That is a, an echinoderm. Totally. Like the essen, essential echinoderm. So <clears throat> it's the shape of spinies. Oh, and purple will come back later too with uh, the high priest Clea when she shows up. Yep. So, a couple of notes to touch on. First of all, like just to back to Mordo for a second, he's the master of the sanctum in this inversion world, while the son is dead, which is, you know, strange. The Christ character is dead. So, Mordo, Mort, Odd. Odd is the god, as in like Odin or God. So Mort, Odd, the dead god. You know, that's the one who's in charge while the sun is in the underworld, if you will. Now, the other thing is like maybe part of why we're talking about the inversion world where the Illuminati are in charge. Maybe part of why the uh, Echidna is so revered is because of that inversion of like, you know, giving birth out of their cock. Um, cause that's sort of what the, the he blue priestcraft thing was about was like, you know, they're servants of the goddess, they'll even chop off their own in, uh, in a lot of the goddess cults, they want to take the power of the female in a way. There's like a lot, there's a lot of that part of the, okay. So anyway, the highest rank of initiates in a lot of these mystery traditions and modern secret societies, I believe. And maybe they weren't intended to be this way. Maybe like they've been grappled to a degree, or maybe it's always been this way. I don't know. But it seems like at the highest rank uh, for initiation, everything flips upside down. Like that at the lower ranks of a cult, they portray goodness, right? And then at the higher rank of the cult, they hit you with this 
pop culture Gnosticism worldview of like escape the break jailbreak the construct Sabbatean do as much evil as possible to somehow glitch the matrix like all these weird belief systems that come into play they take you to inversion world at the top level right and you know you just showed it with that picture of the uh, oval office the ovary office yeah. that's basically it for my notes and to where we're at in the film and yeah I'm going to shut up and help do you want like, to, hope, help us get to the end here do you want to pull up that last page of the key to the- theosophy it's page number 307 so circling back to where I found where it led me to this was the license plate of the taxi in the, the scene and across the street having the magic T yes E being the magic is theosophy, which H.P. Uh, Blavatsky wrote. And so this is it. It says, it, so on, the, on this page, it's talking about the end of the 20, 20th century. And wow. she says the general condition of men's minds and hearts will, be, will have been improved and purified by the spread of its teachings talking about theosophy. And as I have said, their prejudices and dogmatic illusions will have been to some extent, at least removed. Not only so, but besides a large and extent or a large and accessible literature ready to, to men's hands, the next impulse will find a numerous and united body of people ready to welcome the new torchbearer of truth. Hecate. He will find the minds of men prepared for his message. Mm-hmm. And this is the Maitreya, the world teacher. Uh-huh. They wanted Krishnamurti to be this guy. Right. He will find the minds of men prepared for his message and a language ready for him in which to clothe the new truths, new truths, he brings an organization awaiting his arrival, which will be removed the merely mechanical material obstacles and difficulties from his path. Think, Think how, how much, much to one whom... Yeah, you do it because you have the, the, the orator voice. You have the great voice. Do, you do it. Yeah, so they're saying that the Messiah is going to come, and when he shows up, they're already going to have a cult ready to serve him. (laughs) So think how much one to whom such an opportunity is given could accomplish. Measure it by comparison with what the, uh, the Theosophical Society actually has achieved in the last 14 years. Yeah, a lot of uh, Charles Ledbetter kid diddling. There's a 14. They probably were younger than 14. Anyway, uh, think how much the Theosophical Society actually has achieved in the last 14 years without any of these advantages and surrounded by hosts of hindrances, poor victims, which would not hamper the new leader. Consider all this and then tell me whether I am too sanguine when I say that if the Theosophical Society survives and lives true to its mission, to its original impulses, through the next hundred years, Tell me, I say, if I go too far in asserting that Earth will be a heaven in the 21st century in comparison with what it is now. 
that's a trip. That's that's straight out of the Bible of the United Nations, basically. Yeah, where the Lucius Trust, which is yep. a theosophical publishing company. Yep. And they uh so 37, you know, it's page 307. 37 uh is the uh that's the markation of the Mason Dixon line. It's the line in the sand, brother against brother, civil war kind of shit. It's also uh two lunar standstill cycles. Yeah, good this is a, this is a really good really good bibliomancy, Gordy, because this film and many others are programming the superhero escapism is setting up the program in people's mind that I mean, I don't know if it would ever work. <laughs> I don't see how it would. I don't know how anybody could be so I don't know their belief could be suspended to such a degree that outside of the movie theater, when they see whatever actor gets picked to be the world teacher, the antichrist, but not in like a mystical way, just in a, a created way, you know, I think they're, I think that there would be an attempt possibly someday to create this character. I think it's been attempted before. Uh, Jay Krishnamurti uh, sort of broke out of the he broke out of his programming and didn't follow the lead of this cult to prop him up as the world teacher. Maybe it's happened in the past, but I don't think so. I think that they're trying to basically re redo the whole Christ thing as it was given to us in the Roman Catholicism to set up a new age, one world religion, the way that Catholicism was meant to be. And I guess to some degree was as it controlled a large portion of the earth through its empire. But, you know, with the Bible, one of the silliest things about it is in the New Testament, how we're meant to believe, even though it's disputed by many early church fathers, how long he actually lived. We're meant to believe that Jesus in one year, he only had one year of ministry, yet he became massively famous. You would not even be famous after a couple of years in a world where there was no mass communication. Yet he was famous right away, you know, but he only taught for one year. That's because John the Baptist paved the way for him in advance. <laughs> and that's kind of what they're getting at mm-hmm. in that line. They're saying somebody else will come and pave it and then we'll come and knock it, knock through yeah. like, they, like they used to. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that is. But now, like, maybe their goal is that they could actually pull that off on a, a large scale by right. their organizations and all that. But I don't see it happening. Good luck. It's a pipe dream to me. But it's a part of the one world religion, one world government scheme, for sure, to create a heaven on earth, your communist utopia. They're always selling you that it's going to be better in the future if you just get in line and follow what the cult or the organization tells you to do. Uh, Gordy, was that the final page? Did I see that? That looked like it was like the end or the closing statement on there. Yeah, it's, it's the last page. Fin. Dude, it ends with fin. I think you nailed it. I think you absolutely nailed it right there. The fact page, that it was the last page. Yeah. Page 307, no doubt. Yeah. It, it was just, it, it called out, you know, these, sometimes these things like, like, you know, you guys both know, you just hear things. Or it has the ring yeah. of truth. I know what this is. Yep. And you go to it and it's like, it's there. Yep. And Dylan points so out Blav is the radical of Imblave to sow yep. corn or wheat. Yeah. 
Yep. Blave un champ is to corn a field or sow a field with corn. The mythos of the seed. Lady of the corn. The corn myth. Yep. Over and over again. It's even got a... She's the virgin giving birth to the world savior by planting the seeds in the fertile darkness of the mind of men who will yep. pray for the God, pray to the God and blacken him. Yep. It's got the Vat. Blavatsky. Uh, handing down to that uh, the, the top, the bottom, underneath the Vatican. VAT, never trust it. Don't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a short list right here. I just happened to be open to this page. This is my short list of HPs. These are all the high priests that I can identify. And it's not, I mean, when I see these things, it's not like, oh, HP automatically means high priest. You got to think, like, what is this person about? What, how are they portrayed? What role are they playing in, in the collective? And it, and it doesn't work every time, but almost 90% of the time, Philip K. Dick, he's got the PH uh, in his name, the PH. Uh, oh yeah. He's a high priest of this Gnostic cult. hundred yeah. percent. He's telling people mm-hmm. believe that yep. this like drug addict, insane person was prophetic and could view other multiple realities and was telling you that the archons controlled you. And like, you know, he could see through the matrix, everybody, Philip K. Dick, he's so special, special boy. Give him his lollipops. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's uh, so we also have Joseph hammer Perkstall. He's an amazing one. Cause he's got like a PH and Joseph. And then his initials hammer Perkstall or high priest HP. We've got H.P. Blavatsky, H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know who that is, the Pergstall. Who, yeah, who is Pergstall? Oh, Pergstall, uh, he uh, revealed the right, well, he brought forward uh, the writings of Levy and. Elphias um, Levi. Levy. Yeah, Levy. He's basically uh, a, a real good source for uh, understanding a lot of the. Um, these initiatory practices, gosh, if you look him up, if you look his name up, his writing is like just exactly where we should. Uh, that makes sense because they attention. very likely created the whole image of the Baphomet at that it. time, at that Bingo. time, not and claimed that it was coming from an earlier time. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm starting to think that maybe whatever the Templars were possibly was a, a competing remnant of the mystery traditions that the Vatican grabbled and gave people just the entry level information on. Yep. And that was why they had to be uh, removed from the chessboard or brought into the fold more like, I think yep. they were just brought into the fold. Yeah. So you so, would want to make sure and cast a lot of aspersions on that tradition and make them look like, Oh, they're the bad guys. They're the, they're your Illuminati's. They're the ones running things behind the scenes. Maybe. Or maybe yeah. like maybe what they became later is that like infiltrated and corrupted. But yeah. I think there could be something in the if we had any way to access the real information relating to the Templars, that would be a trail towards a better understanding of whatever the original system was. Not saying that that system was right or the truth or like should be a religion either. But I think it's, I think there's been a lot of shade cast on it for a reason to keep people off the trail. Right, right. Uh, so. Uh, Stephen Hawking has got the PH in the middle of his name. Stephen Hawking it's a high priest of his own right. Uh, and then Harry Potter, my favorite one. 
Can't forget Harry Potter. <laughs> the Harry, Harry Potter. R.A. Krishna Potter. Yeah. Templars were Manichaeans. Manichaeans created Christ, the concept of Christ. Right. And recognized it as the sun. Yep. Personifying uh, the divine. And then, strangely enough, just as the divine has this human shape to it for our words to address it, they superimpose the language we use to describe the divine in the shape of a Manichaean uh, anthropomorphized being. They take the the entire language we use to describe God, and then they superimposed it onto government. And so now our government mm-hmm. is like a big robot, a big mechanical God, and all of the ingredients and anatomical correspondences of what we used to describe God, this anthropomorphized man, it's now uh, that's the clothing, that's the garment that they are dressing government in. Guys, we're in Weaving Spiders Welcome territory, and there was only three of us, so. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's legitimate competition. We better be careful, or they might try to burn us down for becoming a sovereign state. <laughs> let's wrap it up, guys. Yeah, let's do. Hey, thanks for doing this, Chance. I appreciate it. Oh should we, yeah. Should okay. we do plugs? Can we can we plug some things? Sure. If somehow um, they don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't no, know yeah, who plugs I am. are good. But uh Monday Monday nights uh, Mystic Inheritance Conspiratorium on Telegram. If you don't know what it is, send me a DM and I will get you a link. Even if you just want the PDFs, we're doing uh initiation into hermetics now. Um and it's already weird as fuck. So it's fun. Mystic Inheritance Conspiratorium on Telegram. It's a mouthful. But you're also on Instagram. People can find you at Gordy Two Shoes there. That's a really good way to send you a DM if they want that. Yes, for sure. Find me on Instagram. See lots of owl pictures and uh, join us tomorrow night on spiders. And you have balls to spare too, right? I got so many balls, dude. So many heavy balls. These balls are huge. Dude, don't I've fuck got... with the Taurus, man. Don't fuck with the Taurus when it comes to balls. How come you sent me the tiny balls? Hey, you know. I would have paid for big balls. I can afford it's it. It's not about paying, man. The balls tell me who they go to. Nice. What nice. are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, telling I'm you. Probably, the I bet I'm bigger than you. I'm not things, as big man. as Gabriel, but I'm probably bigger <laughs> than you. Uh, this is why you guys are my friends i love you guys this is fun oh yeah yeah uh i'm slick dissident on youtube and i hang with the spiders too on saturdays uh in uh weaving spiders webs where you find us over there on the youtubes and then uh here with chance the last couple Saturdays I haven't made it to spiders because I've been working on Dylan's book and uh, that's probably going to be the case tomorrow night too because <laughs> uh, I've been doing so many of my own streams and shows this week I haven't had a lot of time to put in on the book and I have a, a goal date for myself to finish it up by so probably that's where I'll be but I often lurk in the live chat just to see whose faces are on the stream Weaving spiders is great I'll be back on there with you guys as soon as it's uh, reasonable <laughs> but you know when you do 12 10 to 12 hours a week of your own content, like tacking on another, work, another four or six is becoming quite unwieldy, <laughs> especially in the middle of the freaking night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> of all the so, windows. 
Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, amazing four and a half hours. And apparently there's more to go. We didn't even get halfway through the film. Not and even halfway. Go watch it if you didn't see it and you want to hear us continue breaking it down. And much love to everybody. Nighty night. Thanks for thanks for being here.